This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Joe Pesci's a lawyer. Mila Jovovich wears a red dress. And Channing Tatum goes to 37 Jump Street. That does not sound right. But let's find out this week on 302010. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a lovely little weekly journey across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago to figure out what the coolest movies, TV, video games, music, and more that came out during those periods. Hi, this week we're talking about March 11th through the 17th, and we're going to tell you what came out during 1992, 2002, and uh, 2012, and it is this week for once, all cool. Bunch of great stuff came out here, huge milestones, cannot wait to tell you all about it. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who is with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm going to beat your dick off. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and everything that guy said is bullshit. <laughs> it's great. These, these are all these. Oh, a great week for comedies. Goddamn. Hell, yeah. Even... Hell yeah. There's so, like, we have a giant slate of movies and TV to get through, mm-hmm. and, like, one or two of them are like... And then the rest of them are like, okay, step back. We got to talk about that. Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's, yeah, even, there's, there's so much in the next two weeks that are like that. But uh, again, the early part of the year is typically good for comedies. And I only say that if you haven't heard us lament on the show, the streaming eras has been kind of unkind to comedy movies. Comedy movies are always better with a crowd. I know this from braving COVID to see the Jackass 4. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to do, and I don't regret it for a second, and I got tested, and I'm fine. This 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 week in particular reminded me of that. Going to the theater to see a comedy really feels old now and antiquated, and hopefully we can not lose sight of that thanks to efforts like this show. And uh, hey, maybe efforts like our patrons, patreon.com slash lasertime, uh, our many executive producers, including Justin Allen, and the many other fine people over there, giving us five bucks or more for our endeavors on the entire Lasertime network, which includes Video Game Apocalypse Lasertime. Oscar time coming up very soon in a, a fun-filled movie episode yelling about the Oscars very soon on Laser Time. It's just the anger show. But this show is all about the decades. 30, 2010. Let's begin as we always do. In 1992, 30 years ago. You see how the show works, people? I hope I'm clear. I, I it, This is all gibberish to me now, but I hope the idea behind the show gets across in the intro. 311 sucks balls. Sucks balls. Yep. Ni- <laughs> Don't even remember what podcast that's a reference to. 1992. Sorry I had to pause when I read this detail. <laughs> this can't be. I think I was asking Sarah and Diana something similar to this question. Here is our answer. People's sexiest man alive, Nick Nolte. Do you like the taste of cigarettes and unkempt hair? Ladies love their Nick Nolte. Friends- Prince of Tides is like, it's the best of all possible Nick Nolte's, you know, he's sensitive, but he's masculine. He'll stand up for you, but he has feelings. Yeah, I got uh, it. I got it. I don't know. I think 1992 still has some splaining to do. <laughs> what about Cape Fear? He's got some cool jackets. That's true. It's Big got, dad got, energy. Big yeah. Dad energy. I mean. Oh, the ladies I, like I, me. God damn it. I'm Nick Nolte. I'm a I've real stereo. I've been on this train, but I understand how people bought tickets. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I still, I'm finding it hard to believe just because like when you hear him talk today, it's like, does it hurt to be alive, Nick? 
That that voice of yours. Oh my god. God damn. March fifth, a UN UN peacekeepers enter the former Yugoslavia, starting the largest peacekeeping operation in its history. Where are they now? Uh, uh, they might be going in. You never know. Yeah, Yugoslavia has been simmering on the back burner for the last year or so, mm-hmm. and it's just like officially kicking off. And the problem is, the UN peacekeepers. I think like they go to the wrong place what? or wherever they go. Other that's where like evildoers go somewhere else because oh, no. they just find they, they just find air neck cart covered in gasoline. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> feeling pretty Batman this week. Yeah, because we're we're gonna get into some uh mini genocides coming up pretty uh, soon and war crimes, war crimes, war crimes. Uh, yeah. Because the different parts of Yugoslavia are splitting up, their demographics are all very different, and then everyone starts a fight. Yeah. And it gets bad. Seems like 30 years ago, the world was having a little trouble getting along. Speaking, yeah. speaking of which. But it does, it does feel timely because it's like, this is totally the largest conflict in Europe since World War II. And we all seem to have forgotten about it in the last couple of weeks of like, Ukraine, all these, oh, all these poor white refugees this hasn't happened since world war ii and it's like dude yeah dude dude hey yeah well i i I think again when we talked about last last week activism and slacktivism it's just awareness has increased it's Mm -hmm. impossible to avoid this news whereas in 1992 this was definitely avoidable like i was getting all my news all getting all my global news from snl like I wasn't watching the news or reading a newspaper. I'm, and also, I'm eleven. It's wicked complicated. Yeah. There are so many factions. There aren't just and then the Serbs did this and then the Croats did that. There are three or four factions per side. Let's get into more uh, happier news. South Africa. <laughs> South South <laughs> South Africa. This is great news. No, it is. It is. This is amazing news. Uh South African referendum of white voters on an end to apartheid. Over a two thirds vote for the end of this system. And it's this is yeah. Yeah. It's, it's if you want to know why the 90s was such an optimistic time, you have the fall of the Soviet Union. You have uh, South Africa voluntarily deciding to end apartheid mm-hmm. in their own plebiscite. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, South Africa was under a lot of sanctions for doing something bad. And they decided to stop doing the bad thing, and the sanctions ended. I wonder if there's a lesson that can be drawn there. Mm. I mean, without 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 a leader getting stabbed by his own people, that's how I want to see the current thing resolved. I'd yeah, do it and, on a live stream. And the and the white leader who decides, hey, let's do the good thing instead of the bad thing, he gets a fucking Nobel Prize mm-hmm. instead of you know getting iced by his own generals. So you that's know, it. sometimes it works. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember it doesn't, but sometimes it works. That feeling of optimism again. I always say the Matrix is correct. 1999 really was the peak of humanity. Like. <laughs> We were rolling, we were rolling, we rolled right in the eighties into the optimistic nineties, and here's a little bit of that for you. I've I've often said that the pro democracy forces, in a lot of ways, are like the guy who went to the track and won big one time. Because you've mm. got the nineteen nineties with the fall of the Soviet Union, where the police went, no. We're not going to side with the dictators. We're going to side with the people, which is very unlikely. Yeah, and just... <laughs> then you have uh, white South Africa ending apartheid. And it's just like, obviously, this trend is going to continue forever. You, you're, I think you, uh, analogy you could have made about me is meet a craps table. Mm-hmm. I've had nothing but positive craps experiences. And it just I know I'm going to get walk to that table one time and get my heart broken. Hasn't happened yet, though. You, I don't know. I mean, some of the... That optimism I've been thinking about in the last couple of weeks with Ukraine and just think about how badly we fucked up post-Soviet Union. 
Russia. Yeah. This is yeah. No, that that's how we got here. I mean, I mean, I mean just the I, just the idea that there's still a a seed of anger in that region that this is somehow their shit and it was taken in them by the West means we didn't we didn't we didn't deal with the situation appropriately. Anywho. Anyhow, I don't know what I'm talking about. I wasn't rushing anyone else past. I just want to get myself out of that hole. But movies of 1992. We're talking uh, 311 sucks balls to 317. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So we're going from ball sucking to beer downing. Uh, and just six, seven days of 30, 2010. Wayne's World is still number one at the box office. That's like three weeks for a comedy. See what I'm saying about comedies? Good Lord. It's hilarious. Uh, and I, I, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer the Vacation. Why is that here? I'm glad it's here. It's a good well, movie. It, it went on VHS. It was originally going to go to theaters, and they changed their minds. It went to VHS, where it did really, really well. Yeah, I think Spielberg always... he got, Spielberg's a huge animation fan, huge Disney fan. You can see it in a lot of his old movies. A lot of Disney stuff comes in there. I think in E.T., they're watching Disney stuff, back when you could do that in a movie uh, that wasn't made by Disney. And uh, I believe I've read... When it came time to make movies, they would do this cycle. Or they'd make 100 episodes of Tiny Toons or Animaniacs, and then they'd end with a movie. Always sort of intended for a theatrical release, but Spielberg's like, but all this Disney home shit, my kids love it. And they can't choose to watch my cartoons any time other than when they are on television. What if we... Just let's make it home straight to video. And I, I sort of wish it got a theatrical release, because we talk about Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation... Potentially like the way we talk about Mask of the Phantasm with Batman. Oh, uh, yeah. This yeah. is a really, really I mean, there's some, great period for uh, Warner Brothers animation, especially their straight-to-video animation. There's some adult jokes in here. There's oh, yeah. a joke about bigamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a joke about Roseanne Barr and the National Anthem. There's a bunch of references to late-night comedians who I'm like, uh, a kid should not be up late enough to watch. I, these I think guys. the, the reason that we we've talked about these on the show on Laser Time at least several times before. Part of the reason. Animaniacs and Tiny Toons were jettisoned from certain airwaves because they tested too high with adults. Kids are just like, what the fuck is this? This show made fun of Jerry Lewis for nine straight episodes. Like, what what am I supposed (laughs) to do with this? I want to watch Power Rangers or Pokemon. And it kind of, kids shows kind of gave way to that. But for me, Tiny Toons and Animaniacs holds up real well. And this is, other than video games, the last appearance, animated appearance of the Tiny Toons. Um, yeah. And it's 30 years yeah, ago their this week. only movie of all time. There's a bunch of different characters. They all have different goals and it all reaches a conclusion. It's a, it's a very funny thing. And uh, I did love one point where Plucky Duck is making a joke about the far, far off time he's going to arrive at uh, his amusement park and is the far off date of April 6, 2021. <laughs> so. Oh, is that Happy Fun World? Yeah, that's Happy Fun. Yeah, because I think because this is sort of episodic, everyone's got little stories that these were cut they, up and they, then they did break these up. As... It aired, it yeah. had a big airing on television, but because of that, it only happened once. And uh, I, think I they missed broke it. them up and ad- aired them as segments on the show and happy fun world is one that stuck with me a lot of plucky going along with hampton's whole family to happy fun world and it's just the worst car trip ever it goes on they're so annoying it goes on forever but they finally fucking get there and then they ride the monorail and then they leave (laughs) (laughs) they don't want to do it all at once and uh i loved on the car trip plucky's saying oh can't you use the air conditioning and the dad says no that would use gas well can't you roll down the windows no then the other drivers will think we can't afford to use air conditioning (laughs) it has been my, my my best friend in elementary school 
His parents had a van and four other boys, and that is how I remember traveling. Like, it, this is just fucking chaos. It's hot. It's <laughs> sticky. Everything's a mess. The parents look exhausted. I, I, but I love this send-off to Tiny Toons. I sort of wished they never stopped. But I think that was their plan, make enough to air in syndication. Tiny Toons, last I had cable, was still airing certain places. It's timeless. Pretty nuts. It's really dated good. references to the 1960s. Yeah, but that never stopped them airing fucking Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is with these ACODs, Doc. Sorry, that's a reference to gas rationing, which is a lot of jokes in Looney Tunes. <laughs> how, I met, how I Spent My Summer Vacation is on Hulu, along with Wacko's Wish. And a couple of things you might have forgotten about that Spielberg renaissance of animation, which I just love talking about. Off mic, Diana was telling me what a great week it was for movies. So you're going to have to tell me yep. a little more about this movie that is clearly foreign, Raise the Red Lantern. Yes, Raise the Red Lantern starring Gong Li, directed by Zhang Yimou, one of his first one got you know a ton of foreign attention because it is a goddamn masterpiece it is just fascinating and moving and drops you into a very foreign culture at a very foreign time it's about a woman who becomes the i think fourth concubine of this warlord and it all takes place in his compound of a house and how every night he chooses which wife or concubine he's going to be with and so there's lots of power plays between the different women and like you know vying for supremacy and her you know kind of being property and trying to figure out how to like have her own life but Mm. she's still very dependent on this whole system and the other wives are mean to her and it's visually because it's jangy moo it is visually goddamn stunning and i read something saying like there were some bad dvd transfers and apparently Mm. now they finally fixed that because that guy he knows how to use color like nobody's missed this later this year or maybe early next year, we're going to talk about Hero with Jet Li, which is like uh, the very... most stunning movie ever. So, and which I watched the worst possible. I can't wait to get a rewatch with like a good transfer. That you just blew my mind the amount of Asian cinema I watched with like you know like <laughs> stick of gum size artifacting on the screen, like <laughs> because that's how we had to do it if you were legally legally and illegally trying to watch movies from Asia for the most yeah. part. In the, yeah, no, like, Razor Red Lantern is you know kind of part melodrama part personal drama part commentary on china current and past and it's so fascinating even though like i said everything about it is just completely foreign to how we generally live i don't Mm. live in a compound with four other wives yet i live on a compound with my four husbands yes (laughs) all appeared on laser time (laughs) podcast by the way it is some of the most gorgeously shot depression I've ever seen because this lady is not happy. Uh, she's surrounded by, at the time, opulence, but it's very much depressing and soul crushing for her. It's a very, the early 90s are a very interesting time for Chinese cinema. Uh, you know, the last 30 years, China has gone from strength to strength. Its people have prospered. The 30 years before the 1990s saw famine and death on a scale that the world has never seen. Like literally the Chinese famines of the Great Leap Forward killed more people than any famine in history. And the reforms by Deng Xiaoping loosened up a little, made the famine stop, made the economy start growing. But in the early 1990s, it was still a dirt, dirt poor country, although it was on its way up. It still had the scars from literal starvation. And you can see that in its cinema and how it's willing to handle things, uh, negative things, in a way that modern Chinese cinema is not allowed to do as much. Right. Yeah, yeah that's that's a good point. It's like they're never coming out and saying, like, 
we this is actually a metaphor for socialism or anything it's just like yeah you don't see a lot of downer chinese movies we fucked up get back to your room with 40 bunk beds you've got to be (laughs) up at 4 a.m to make our phones there still has to be some sort of uplifting thing in them Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i would say not as much in this but it's also it's not a slog like just because like it's kind of a it's kind of a downer because you know this woman is in this forced marriage full of people who don't like her it's not just like non-stop depression it's just really fascinating also not a dc movie you little turds relax yeah if you can find a good copy of it i don't know why there isn't a criterion yet because Jang mm. is one of the best visual yeah, was, stylists in there film, was period. A great article in The Guardian this week, uh, not to talk about topical things, about missing films. Yeah, I saw mm. that. We got the Mississippi Masala show. Yeah. yeah, and just and just how much of that has occurred to films made by and starring people of color and women. Those mm. have been like fallen through the cracks for the most part. And just some of it's just like uh how is someone describing it? Like this is an independent film company. That went into business 20 years ago. Like, I don't know. Right. It, it, the rights to this are literally with a pharmaceutical company and it, that doesn't release <laughs> movies anymore. I don't know how to get this out any more than, than you do. And the only people figuring out are, are Criterion. But it should be something we cheer for your Netflix and your HBO Max. It's like, yeah, get it together, man. Fucking preserve cinema. Yeah. Make it easier to see movies like this. Uh, yeah. How much does it cost to buy the rights to I Shot Andy Warhol and put it... Right copy up on hbo use martin scorsese's de-aging budget and just (laughs) buy a couple hundred of these movies it'll be fun trust me i don't know if this is a hard pivot because i've never heard of the next film but the cast oh my god yeah is is there a movie with eli wallach and keith david yes chris there is you just (laughs) sadly you're just noticing right now also with kathy baker john c mcginley john mahoney uh, Leah Thompson, Force Whitaker, Kiefer Sutherland, and Ray Liotta, as far back as I can remember. I wanted to be a constitution. Uh, Article 99. <laughs> I don't know what this movie is. Article 99. Uh, so basically, there's problems at the Veterans Affairs Office, Veterans Health Care, and all of those problems, all of them, are the result of one singular bad actor and not the result of any conscious decisions by the electorate. Oh. What? No, yep. so they yep. have more money than they know what to do with. Just John Mahoney's being a dick. Yep, yep. Wow. It's, as long as someone stops being a dick, all the problems go away. Really? Who knew it was that easy to fix healthcare for veterans? Uh, this <laughs> film is in great contrast to uh, the movie we're going to talk about at the end of this segment, which has no villain, and I respect the hell out of it for that. Uh, hmm. Okay, okay. And the next film was. I've always been a pretty savvy movie nerd, despite having not heard of the previous film. Uh, but I worked at Suncoast. Oh, the Red Lantern, which made a bunch of top ten lists for best movie of the year, you dick. I was eleven, but it, <laughs> but like ten, is so beautiful. Ten, ten years later, um, with a burgeoning internet, and I was working at Suncoast in the mall, the movie store in the mall, and during the, like the heyday of DVDs, so everything is coming out. Twenty-year-old films are getting action figures. It's a really neat time. However, one of the most requested movies was this film that I finally was able to check out this week. Pepe Serna, William Forsyth, and Edward James Almost, an American me. I remember the first time it was requested, the person had an accent, not a Hispanic accent, and I couldn't understand what they were saying. What? American me. Oh, American me. American me with Edward James Almost, and it's just like. How can you not like a film like this? Like a, well, a what? 
I have a story about this, but let's get into what the movie is and Ed will sure. talk about it. Sure, American Me. Tell us, trailer. It started with three. I think it's time we take you in. And became an army. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Don't try to stop it. Together, they built an empire. You'll regret the day you make that choice. All it cost them. No, move the door, man! Was everything. Edward James Olmos, American Me, rated R. <laughs> See, I still, I, I still remember being in the store and not being able to understand American Me. Right. So this is uh, directed by Edward James Olmos. This is mm-hmm. his directorial debut. It's based loosely on a true story about the Mexican mafia, mm-hmm. um, starting with the Zoot Suit Riot, which is who knew it was a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it really deserves its own movie. Yes. Um, and the band and, deserves to have their name changed. You popularized yes. the phrase. Gross. Um, yeah, but it's about you know the Mexican mafia, how it works in the drug trade, in and out of prisons, and so here's the thing. Um, so remember, we're, we have a bunch of gang-related movies now, not including the movie gang-related. You know, we've had New Jack City, <laughs> and we've had Juice. Yeah. And so this is you know more uh, well, the Latino good fellas. angle, but. No, I'm talking not mafia, but gang. Okay, okay, okay. So like New Jack. There were some incidents of violence, like in parking lots after New Jack. So mm-hmm. when I went to see this movie in the middle of the day, there was a cop at the movie theater. Whoa. For no fucking reason. I was like, me and my mom are the only people in the movie. The reason me and my mom are going to see this movie is because I have not talked about it up until now. What? I wrote short reviews for my local paper oh, when wow. I was 14. What? They assigned oh. the movies every week. And they sent the 14-year-old <laughs> to go see a movie that has multiple murders, multiple overdoses, and like three sexual assaults. Ha! So, your, your yeah. report was this film has too many murders, not enough ponies. <laughs> two, two out of three no, flowers. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's very like it's very feels very brutal and raw and real. And I understand it in context of like gangster films. You know the you know the the minority that's not has to you know police their own because the cops are such dicks to them. Like that's it's the same as Goodfellas or The Godfather. I understand that. A little bit after this, they finally changed the rules to be like, let's not send them to see R-rated movies anymore. <laughs> how, how, how are, this juvenile is... rape scene. Ooh. And then a kid gets stabbed and, oh my God. Yeah. Okay, that's all terrible, but like, I've been recording this with you for seven years. Were you holding on to the story for American <laughs> Me? Yes. Are you that good at this? Are you? <laughs> I am that good at this. Right. I haven't mentioned this to some of the other movies I reviewed. I did review Hook. I remember uh, Hard I Promises didn't... with Sissy Spacek. What? We got a couple other ones coming up. Like, yeah, there's some that I. Well, hold on. So but if... this is the one that sticks out because it's like I got it. First of all, I got to take my mom to go see it because they won't let me buy a ticket. That's why she. Oh my god. Sorry, this is blowing my mind. There, and we're like, okay. So wait, hold on, hold on. But this colors everything you've ever talked about in 30, 2010. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I have to keep stopping you. So, so even when you're talking, sorry, when you're talking about Hook, uh-huh. you're slamming it from the perspective of having reviewed it as a 14-year-old. And then re-reviewing it as an adult. That's, I didn't like it then either. <laughs> no, me neither. I'm with you. I'm just saying, but like you, like you look at a movie different when it's your job. And it was your job when we're in yep. the nostalgic section, even though you're still a child. Yep. yep. This changes everything. Say, saving you... it for seven years, you deserve some type of podcast award. I know. Oh, for real. Yeah. For real. <laughs> Please send them to Patreon.com. slash. 
please don't look up my picture because it's my braces take up half the frame. <laughs> What's the worst picture I've ever taken. I just, I can't imagine being a reader of this paper and seeing a girl with braces and going, I need to know what she thought of American me and its <laughs> multiple rape scenes. Uh, well, if you, if you remember how these papers operated back in the day before the internet, imagine the angry letters the girl with the braces probably got for not liking something. <laughs> Holy if shit, we have to do were, a whole... Did you save any negative letters? We, I gotta know this. If there were, I never got any. But also, this was you. back before email, so mm -hmm. I had to type up my reviews, give them to my dad, and he would fax them from work. Wow. So if email had been around, yeah, I probably would have gotten all kinds of hate mail. Like, the God, fuck you... is wrong? Why don't you like Hook? But, <laughs> you uh, were so cool. Yeah. So I've been uh, at this a long time, is my point. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck am uh, I even here? And American Me should not be watched by children. No, no, but I, I it's love. It's pretty good. I mean, but it is incredibly violent. Yeah, I, but it's I got love almost a like documentary this. feel to it. You know, yeah. there's no glamour. Couldn't help comparing mm -hmm. it in my mind to Shawshank, which is, mm -hmm. and you know, the prison True. scenes are nothing but depressing. You know, not the shred of hope. That I don't you know. Everyone has Shawshank. real cool hats in Shawshank. Not so much here. But, yeah. but everybody be getting shanked. This is a, this is a bad thing to say, but like I don't have a great knowledge of Latino culture, as we'll find out in the next segment. I really don't. But the the fashion of this, I had really never seen outside of homies. The the those action figures that came in gumball machines. Oh my god! <laughs> like, oh, so you mean like the the shirts button, just the top button? Yeah, but even the zoot suit thing, yeah. like that's in this oh, fucking yeah. movie. Like it's it's awesome. It's like a period piece for a period that like. I don't have very many pieces up to fulfill the puzzle of America, my knowledge of America. So I'm just glad this movie exists. And I, I, I ne I'll never forget the guy who explained to me what this movie was, was like this blonde, white, punk rocker. He's like, this movie's the coolest thing ever, and you, I hope you guys get it in your store. Please, American Me is the shit. So I've like, it was hard to find for a really long time. A super independent movie, but like, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of gang and gangster movies, especially back then. So, um... It was it was great to catch. I, I I can't recommend it enough. It's doesn't move the envelope, but it's like it's a story you haven't heard before uh, yeah. from a time you haven't yeah. heard of before. Absolutely, and according to Danny Trejo, uh, a lot of people involved in it got killed at some point. Really, like, possibly for their involvement. Ooh. Yeah, like you mean you said it was based on a true story, like the true yeah. story people were killed. Uh, some of the film's advisors ended up getting killed. Um, people. Couple people who acted in it. I don't know if it's because they acted in it or because they're in the community or whatever. I mean, they actually shot at Folsom, so I'm sure people in those shots have been killed since then. Now this is really yeah. dark, but now I want to know which film has had the most members of it murdered. Ooh, what was it? Poltergeist? No, no, no that's an urban murder. legend. What about a uh, Land Before Time? That's one at least. That's one. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> that's at least one. This um, might. This might, this might be wait, it. wait, wait, wait. No, it, Rebel Without a Cause. Like, um, two. It's at least two murders. That's, well, one definite. You don't think Natalie would have died? It? Oh. One maybe, probably. We got to start a new podcast. Oh, my God. And one from a dick not making a left turn properly. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. That is a very interesting question. Don't you take away my Sal Minio murder? That definitely happened. I, I wouldn't. How about The Conqueror? I think they were all murdered. Yeah, by cancer. That's the deadliest yeah. movie ever made. Um, yep. Probably would have to be. Mm -hmm. uh, directly from the movie dying. And transitioning. Everyone, anyway. are you ready to laugh? Um, <laughs> I know I am. A movie a movie I, I couldn't... Movie. And then I rewatched it and I just love it all the more. I, I, I realized I had a complicated 
relationship with this movie. I, there was a bit of dread for me watching it. I couldn't really remember why. Uh, now I do. But just the, the comedy vibe, something that is so simple, and I just don't know if it could get greenlit today in any form. No. And I don't know why, because it's like no one's, no one's made fun of, no one's supposed to feel bad coming out of this. It's just a nice movie. Uh, rated R for language. Rated R for language. Bruce McGill, Austin Pendleton, Lane Smith, Fred Gwen, one of my favorite people in the universe. Uh, Mitchell Whitfield, Ralph Macchio, you may forget, his little mustache. Mar- and Oscar winner Marissa Tomei for this movie. Joe Pesci. It's my cousin Vinny, ladies and gentlemen. My cousin Vinny! Not since Perry Mason has a lawyer been so daring. Counselor. Not since General Custer. The name books for murder. Has an outcome been so clear. Try them. They needed the best. How long have you been practicing? Almost six weeks. Whoa! What they got was... The two Utes. Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. My Cousin Vinny. What is a Ute? Rated R. Starts fighting. <laughs> a rated now R... Now you know what a Ute is, Chris. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, if, I, if I have to be clear, what is My Cousin Vinny about? I have, a... I have the best answer for you. All right. Okay. Because and it's one only it's it's one that works well in our medium. The story song written by Travis Tritt called Bible Belt that you hear over the credits of the film is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. If anybody ever asks you, what is my cousin Vinny about? Stumble for your phone as it flies out of your hands and look up Bible Belt by Travis Tritt. Well, it was a New York attorney about to take a southern journey in the places that he'd never been. <laughs> she was a brunette out of Brooklyn, fast talking and good looking with a body that was made for sin. And she wanted him for marriage because the toys that she carried was harder than the fires of hell. But he said he didn't need her still. She followed him down deep into the buckle of the Bible bed. <sighs> that is a three-minute <laughs> song about my cousin Vinny in My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> Wow. Um, so as I, what do you think about what do you think about a, her having a body made for sin? That's kind of yeah. a terrible way to grow up. Just saying. But as I mentioned earlier, there are zero villains in this film. Everyone until the is end. Just, no, no. In no, the beginning, like well, their job. In the beginning, that attorney is evil and uh, the the judge is evil. No, he's no. not. Yes, no, he is. They no. are doing their job no. as they are required to do. Yes. Is he, is he forced to? Critique his language and wardrobe. Much, yes, no, you wardrobe? cannot get away. The practice of law requires a certain level Dec- of decorum. I get it, which is my complicated relationship with this movie. My my dad and his family are a hundred percent Italian, who somehow transferred to the South and all became attorneys. My family loves this movie, and it played every way lawyer loves this film. Too lawyers much. Uh, love this movie because it's been cited in court cases. Yeah. Including uh, one by the DC Circuit Court, a guy named Eric Garland <laughs> cited it in, in an actual lawsuit. What? Because it, this is a perfect trial film. Trial films are actually really hard to do because most of a trial is incredibly boring, boring, incredibly tedious. It's not uncommon for court reporters to just fall asleep, and that's their freaking job. But the screenwriter turned in an incredibly tight, tight script. Everything in this movie works. There's a scene early on when uh, they talk about mud on their tires and boom, it pays off later on in the film. And everything you see on the screen has some purpose. It is almost 100% legally accurate. It is funny as hell, great acting. It's, it's 
a perfect legal movie. I yeah, saw it in a paralegal class oh uh, because <laughs> everyone who practices law just loves this film because it yeah. captures what they actually do. Yeah, I, I saw a bunch of things talking about how it teaches you a lot of the things that you don't actually learn in law school about procedural courtroom type stuff. And the best, I, I love good someone, way... <laughs> someone saying it's called disclosure, dickhead. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, but also like ways to present evidence that will, you know, pull apart testimony and do it in a way that grabs people's attention. It's like really, yeah. Also, the American Bar Association listed it as their number three best legal movie of all time, behind To Kill a Mockingbird and Twelve Angry Men. Wow. <laughs> which I will point out, Twelve Angry Men should probably not be on that list because that trial would go to mistrial. The jurors yeah. are doing their own investigation. Anyway. <laughs> now, well, I, I read about a few good men in regards to this movie and like, yeah, that movie ends with a, a guy screaming out the answers while on the bench. It's like that never happens. What happens in My Cousin Vinny is can happen is kind of what's supposed to happen through cross-examinations. Yeah. There are more famous legal movies, but like this is how court proceedings typically are supposed to go and what they're supposed to reveal um, right. organically. This is, yeah, good cross-examination, picking mm -hmm. apart circumstantial evidence, because the story is two New York kids are driving through the South uh, and they get pulled over and accused of killing this guy who worked at the uh, Sack and Suds. And Bad they... <laughs> They don't have any money, so they have their cousin Vinny, who just became a lawyer after oh. taking the bar six times <laughs> and doing personal injury stuff, come down from New York. And he doesn't know court procedure because he hasn't been in a court before. And so he's constantly butting heads with the judge, played by Fred Gwynn, who's incredibly tight about wanting things done exactly correctly. And just their scenes are great. It doesn't hurt that they're more than a foot difference in height yes fred fred gwen by the way is herman munster yeah and yeah. he in terms of accents he's the kid in maine and pet cemetery sometimes dead is better here doing an entirely different accent from herman munster or that guy i love fred gwen i really do and he's huge yeah. uh, unfortunately i think this is his last role yes he is yeah. he is not long for this world yeah um yeah, so Joe Pesci and his girlfriend, Marissa Tomei, who I think is playing older than she actually is. There's 20-something years difference between them. Only only watching it now could I see how fucking young she is. To where, like, mm. she's very cute, but also too young for me to be saying that in this movie. Because she is, like, 19 to 21. She is really, really... Nah, she's, no, she's, like, 24. Oh. She's, like, 24. She's too young to be dating well, Joe Pesci. She's <laughs> talking about her biological clock ticking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In this film. So it's puts yeah. her and under 34. And she says they've been together for 10 years, which... Yeah, no. Don't think about it. <laughs> no. I really think she's supposed to be, like, in her early 30s. She is so goddamn funny. And I went down a rabbit hole last night trying to figure... 28. Oh, okay. Yep. I went down a rabbit hole of, like, is this the last pure comedy performance to win an Oscar? <sighs> and uh... it's close. It depends it on it close. depends on what you think of Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's one I was thinking about. Yeah, because that's pretty close to a comedy performance. Don't cry in front of the, the Mexicans. I call yeah. that a comedy performance. Me too, personally. But I could. Yeah, uh, but it's like there's there's a couple other ones, but usually there's comedy, but they have at least one dramatic scene, mm -hmm. and and that balances it out. But this just doesn't straight silliness, and she's so good at it. Yeah, and believably good, believably she funny. That Academy Award, honestly, yeah. and. Uh, flashing forward there'll be a lot of drama over that academy award yeah yeah well because you know who the front runner was we haven't gotten to the movie yet that's the front runner the front runner was mrs lawrence olivier <laughs> and marissa tomei won yeah so you hear that yeah. dickhead 
But uh, yeah. getting getting back to what this movie. What a fucking nightmare! <laughs> <laughs> getting back to this movie, Will Smith was in the running to play what? Ralph Macchio's friend. Oh, so that, dude, been, dude, you know, dude. That is what I wondered watching this because this is a very it's a rated R movie for language and it's very pleasant and they really don't broach any kind of racism. But I feel like there's kind of no way this movie was originally written that way. That a yeah. bunch of Northerners in the South, there's a fish out of water no. thing here that's not really dealt with. And um, it, it, they, yeah, I mean, it's, the fish out of water is the main theme. Of no, the well, I mean, I'm talking about yeah. with the with the crime. With the crime, right. the idea that like well, these guys definitely did it because they're out of towners, swarthy Italians. Something like you know, we're we're a danger here. I don't trust. He does, he does, but he's uh, talking about the South. But we never hear the Southerners say these are swarthy, dirty Italians, and they're associated with mm, crime. We never Italian hear and that. A Jew boy. Yeah, we never hear that. Um, but yeah. I feel like it's it's it had to have been somewhere in the script. And then I and then the movie actually has like a lot of people of color in it too. So I'm like, oh, goddamn. All right. So it's like avoiding the race thing altogether. I just can't imagine it was written back then exactly the same way because part of this is playing on Southern stereotypes. You are not proper, sir. And how does that not go hand in hand with fucking racism? Well, yeah, there is some... <laughs> There's some jokes at the expense of I'm white the one from the racism. South here. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a there's a real good joke at the expense of white people racism where the uh the district attorney says something about like trial is a word that comes from English where all our ancestors come from. And there's a cut to a black guy in the jury going like what? <laughs> like that's a nice subtle joke. Thank no, you. No, it's this 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 is a comedy that still works, even though like hundred percent works. Yeah, even though like I said, like I I'm I'm shocked race and none of that plays into the film at all really like it's just yeah that's true no one tells him a grease ball or anything yeah yeah nothing like that but it like yeah it totally 100 percent works and every time i think about marissa tomei winning the oscar for this i remember i used to be like how did she do that and like this is a really fun role and i i believe just reading about this 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 was obviously supposed to have a sequel but Marissa Tomei had a lot of power in controlling the sequel afterwards, which is sort of why it never happened because it had to basically be retooled for her and uh, however yeah, they were going to do it. I do feel like, number one, I love that back in 1992 we could get a movie like this. Mm-hmm. But also I kind of wish it was more like today where it's like we're, we deserve at least three sequels. I want to yeah. see them crime right. fighting in Minnesota. I want to see them doing a trial. <laughs> they were supposed to go to England. Hawaii. Were, I don't fucking care. Yeah. They were supposed Send to go to England. Weird places and have. And that and there's a, a young Hawaii adult trilogy of books. Really good choice. I'd, yeah. I'd love to see uh, Vincent Vinny goes, goes Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to see the uh, the tan lines his gold chain makes in his chest. So we right. never did get a sequel to this film. Mm-hmm. We did get young adult Joe look. Pesci <laughs> oh. singing. <laughs> In character, mm-hmm. in a full-length album mm-hmm. called Vincent Gambini Sings for You. And it's yes. supposed it? to be the character from this film singing to you. I, it's I th- a Christmas song and a rap song. and So we, we played this on Laser Time. What I remembered is Joe Pesci was always a singer. This is true. If you've seen Jersey Boys, you know he's a character. That's I didn't remember it being his My Cousin Vinny character is singing this album. He just I thought he was singing a song as the character for My Cousin Vinny on this album. Because mm-hmm. the rest of it is like all of his, his lounge singer character. But they look exactly the same. They, they dress, like the cover of the album is him in his secondhand My Cousin Vinny outfit. <laughs> I think, I, you would know more than me, Jay. Yeah. Just... Rewatching this, like, it's weird because you, you pretty much only remember the trial and how yeah. good the trial is. And that's about 45 minutes out of a two-hour movie. And then yeah. the rest of it is just this, I mean, small town comedy. It's fish out of water comedy. 
it's you know the, the constant running gag of him it's not that he's an incompetent lawyer he can get no goddamn sleep in this goddamn town <laughs> yes and all the creative ways that plays out. He he failed the bar six times. And the, yeah. the reason this film came about is because this screenwriter was waiting next to a guy studying for the bar. And he asked the guy, what happens if you fail? And the guy said, I just take it again. And the screenwriter asked, well, what's the record for someone failing and taking it again? 13 times. Wow. Oh. <laughs> so, you <laughs> know, uh, Vincent is actually considerably better than that other guy because he only failed six times i know i know a ton of lawyers and i'm not naming any names but sometimes you fail the bar repeatedly and just end up podcasting it just happens yeah Yeah. oh also it was interesting like the the alternate universes with different stars of this because it is so I, i it's like this magical time of 1992 where we can have people like danny devito and joe pesci open movies right they're the stars. Tiny, fat Italians. You think I'm so, not dying for that? That, that I'm yeah. born in the wrong decade. Just like no, so, 21 Jump Street said all the time. Yeah, so Danny DeVito was offered this. Andrew Dice Clay says he was offered it. Oh! It looks like Jim Belushi was the front runner. He he turned Ugh. it down. The worst one. It's supposed to be a Jim Belushi. And it's like, mm. The worst person. The worst person I've gotten. And this. No. I, I it wish, needs to be sillier. You're I not want, silly enough. I want to tell my children about like when they watch Home Alone. And I'm like. Uh, look, look, Chris Jr. or Diana Jr., whatever I'll call him. I'll name him after one of you guys. Hey. That guy in Home Alone <laughs> uh, was in a movie a year, like two years later, and became the biggest star in Hollywood for like two years. Joe Pesci <laughs> would front load movies <laughs> until it was like, okay, that was a huge mistake. We should not be doing that. <laughs> but it, it, it does seem bizarre. And I love Jimmy Hollywood. <laughs> Why? Because it <laughs> goes down in a blaze of glory, and then he doesn't. Mm. And then, <laughs> then he doesn't. It's a bad, yeah. good movie. It's a good, bad movie. Yeah, but it's like, and this isn't like the only thing we've had from him as a leading the man. Super. We, we already talked about the super. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I jo- loved this. Or like he's he's added as like the new young up and coming role in Lethal Weapon Three. Like, <laughs> and we got Joe Pesci. <laughs> like, yes. How can this movie lose now? Joe Pesci, one of the weirdest movie stars, I think that, it, but who looks the most like me? Like that's why I'm saying that. Like, he gives me hope. Yeah. yeah, and then he and then he just like decides, ah, I'm gonna retire. I don't need this. I got my money. Yeah, I, and then I, he does. I, he I, comes back only when he feels like it. Only when he feels like it. I, no one wants to hear about Louis C.K. But he wrote that show with Alan Alda as his dad. He's like, it was supposed to be Joe Pesci, and he's like, I'm not gonna do it. But Come over to my house and we'll work out the script for a week and I'll show you how to do it. And he's like, what? And Joe Pesci just like advised him on the script from there. I will not be in your shit, but uh, you you should call Alan. And uh, here, let's rework some of these things over here. This is one of the silliest stories I've ever heard. Joe Pesci is amazing. Wonderful. Oh, I have a, a sad screenwriter story, though. Oh, no. Associated with this that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So it's written by a guy named Dale Lawner, yes. who has a hell of a track record. Mm-hmm. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Ruthless People before this. Freaking awesome. That's pretty much all he did. And then he's just like, I'm done. Hasn't done too much else. And it's like, that. that is an amazing track record. I did not realize he was good friends with a guy whose son was very, very troubled, who went on to become an incel mass shooter. Oh, what? Uh, in Isla Vista, uh... California. Yeah, he was trying to help this kid and was basically like, Oh, you you have problems way too deep. Like a lot of people, it's Elliot Roger. I don't like saying the names of these guys because they wanted to be famous. Right. But um, well, yeah, he was a incel spree killer, and Dale Honor, the screen 
writer was one of the people he sent his manifesto to before he ran around uh, and killed six people and injured 14 mothers. Is that this BMW? Yeah. Okay, now I know who you're talking about. I I didn't know, I don't remember his name. Yeah, Uh, and you shouldn't because he's- Just call him uh, Shooter number 37. Yeah. Yeah, well, I feel like incel shooter. Yeah, incel shooter. That's pretty much what he was mad about. Sad white boy. Yeah, women aren't throwing themselves at him and therefore uh, life is unfair and women must be punished. Yeah, yeah, he's a fucking piece of shit. And um, Launa wrote a, a really good piece for, again, I think The Guardian, just explaining, like, there were a couple times where I realized, oh, I've never seen this kid smile in his whole time, his life. I've known him since he was eight. He never smiles. Mm. I remember uh, reading that. Even more help. And they kept trying to help this kid. And it's like, there was not enough help in the world. Mm. And it's very sad. And uh, yeah, he's kind of retired since then, which is a bummer. I mean, well, well, the there, there, were, there were three My Cousin Vinny novels written in the last five years. <laughs> Yes. That, that seems odd, doesn't they it? They updated the time frame and then, yeah, there's further adventures of... No, make it a period piece. He should It should be like 1993, 1994. I mean, but it, it also, conversely, it could be just as entertaining for his character to remain exactly the same, the same accent, and be right now. Because I think that's, that's the only thing making the movie dated is that, like, you know, I think maybe... Young kids because we just... were closer to the great migration of Italian Americans to America, <laughs> and they said yeah. assimilated. Well, uh, yes, I, I think most years. people would look at Joe Pesci's character as just white people, rather than or like ten years ago, people been like, "Oh, it's a Jersey Shore characters meet the mm. South." That makes sense. But yeah, as we move forward, they're just going to be white people. It just it, we, we don't have a we don't have a yeah. regional dialects much anymore. I, I know we do, but we just it don't. It, it's not represented in film, nor would. I want to walk in an office and greenlight something based on American cultural differences. Yeah, I would. That American yeah. cultural differences are a, a great source. Saying of as a as a straight white guy, it's just not something I would. I promise to handle this delicately, and it's a comedy. Well, is I wouldn't your point, trust me. Oh, I am a white man. I'm being so oppressed because I say pop instead of soda. Why won't they stop it? Thanks for thanks for. <laughs> Pitching my movie for me, Tiny. That's exactly where I was going to go with it. Oh, Fortuna. So, I'm so impressed. Uh, yeah. th- yes, every screenplay Hello. is sort of about my oppression when I when I pitch oh, it. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. That's. I'm glad you're bringing that up right after we talked about someone who murdered six people. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> anyway, the director, Jonathan Lynn, who's mm-hmm. a British guy who actually was an attorney at some point, or he went to law school, but mm-hmm. British law. Um, he also directed Clue and uh, Whole Nine Yards. Hell and yeah. I guess some of the... Some of the joking about Pesci's accent, like the two youths, came from him trying, having trouble understanding his lead actor because their <laughs> accents are so far apart. Uh, lovely. Like, good. Yeah, keep it in. Fucking lovely. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I, I wish there were more movies like this. This is yeah. one of the few times I could Solidly say it, based. I wasn't looking forward to because I think I've, been, I've had to endure this movie for a really long time. I think my, my, the women in my family constantly said, oh, yeah, you blend. And would laugh their heads off. It was really annoying. Like Moonstruck, this was watched in the background of everything I did as a little <laughs> kid for a very long time as an Italian American with a lot of attorneys in our family. Yeah, but yeah. No, the, I, I don't know if I could recommend this more. It's yeah, on HBO right it was, now. It was great. It was fucking great. It's some for everyone, and mm-hmm. even the language, except you, for one scene where they're making a prison rape joke. Mm-hmm. The language is actually not that. I mean, they they say the f word a lot. Yeah, but it's never. Doesn't seem fair. I I would heavy recommend. I will say if you've never enjoyed a courtroom drama film in your life, watch this film. Okay. This is Gateway. If you have 
any chance of liking any courtroom drama, this is the one to start with. Yeah, gateway to courtroom dramas. <laughs> or if uh, you just like 60s cars. True. Because pause attraction is such an important part. Moving into television, this, again, the, talking about the nature of being a television viewer back in the day, I remember the promos for this thing. I'm like, I have to see this fucking movie. And I kept trying to tape it because it had not only Jim Carrey in it, but the gorgeous, can-do-no-wrong Lori Laughlin. Um, until she did a lot of wrong. But but even then, in terms of the wrong we talk about people doing the show, who cares? But uh, doing time on Maple Drive, like this was promoted every time I was watching Fox during the day, uh, at, during The Simpsons. I, I am shocked this is a Fox film. Are okay? you? It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. It does not seem like the adult film for adult TV movie that I expect from the Fox network in 1992. This is the middle of uh, Jim Carrey's in living color run. Yeah. I would have expected Fox to put him in You know what? That's Fire Marshal Bill the TV movie. You know not what? a serious thoughtful drama. What I'm thinking of is like when I would watch cartoons and they were like, This movie is on at three o'clock. I think they pulled it this is probably aired in prime time. 30 years ago this week. And then once Jim Carrey became huge, Fox is like, we have access to a Jim Carrey movie during Ace Ventura and the mask. Put that shit on at three o'clock on a Sunday as many times as you can. So I saw promos for this over and over again, even though like I shouldn't be, I shouldn't even be wanting to watch this, but it had Jim Carrey and Laurie Laughlin in it doing it time. Looks Maple like Drive. a fancy after school special. Yes. And that's why it's weird that it's very dramatic fox because it's about like family dysfunctional family and like alcoholism right but, but fox had and the had the holes in their schedule it's about alcoholism mm -hmm. it's about abortion mm -hmm. and it's about being a closeted gay man good and Lord. it is all three of those yeah. are handled respectfully again not what I expect from 1992 Fox. Yeah, I, I saw this promo for, for years and could never actually catch it until like the YouTube generation when I didn't care anymore. But, but it seems so bizarre to have, you know, uh, Jim Carrey in a role that will surprise you. Yeah. On Fox at this time. Yeah. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, but it was probably made in like 1991 before he, he was just the white guy in the living color. E either that or he was like, damn it, I also can do other things. Let me show you. It's true. Yeah, I mean, Jim Carrey has always had some dramatic chops on him, and yeah. uh, it, this is, to me, a great example of uh, the Jim Carrey we're going to see like far, far down the road in like, The Majestic. Plays an alcoholic really well. He's mm -hmm. not the fake TV drunk of, oh, look at me, I'm super drunk. This is how <laughs> drunk people act, right? <laughs> he is the... I'm drunk right now, but I'm doing my best to hide it. That's what alcoholic. You're goddamn right. Huh. Yeah, but doing time in Maple Drive, I never actually got to see it, but it's all on YouTube. On the 12th, The Simpsons Dog of Death. Have to remember this one. Poor Tied Tummy. Uh, the Simpsons are so caught up in the approaching lottery, they fail to notice their dog is seriously ill. And this is uh, one, one of the greatest Simpsons memes comes from this episode. What'd you do? Get a haircut or something? Look closer, Lenny. Oh, I know what it is. You're the biggest man in the world now. And you're covered in gold. 14 karat gold. Take a hike, boss. I'm running things now. All hail King Homer. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,
So, so that was in response to Homer asking his kids, what would you do with the money? And one says invested, one says like help the poor. And he says, kids don't know how to spend money. And then he pictures himself as a giant gold statue. And not even the best gold. Encrusted with gold jewels. not the best gold. Yeah, it's, it's like, I think it's like a $2 million win as well. Like uh, there's, there's a lot of medical breakthroughs that need to happen to get you this large, Homer. Like, uh, but the, the main problem is the Simpsons dog needs a $750 operation, which is $1,500 in today's money. You hear that, and, Kiki? Uh, you and your stupid ear infection? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, chir- she uh, chirped at me. Oh, did you not hear it? Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> and there's the question from Bart. Why are we walking away? Why isn't this an automatic yes? Um, and they have an adult discussion, and they said, in the end, fine, we'll all cut back, and they all feel good about that for about five seconds. And then they actually have to make the sacrifice, and they all resent the dog. And one of my my things from this, because the Simpsons, current Simpsons, is making jokes about what Bart and Lisa's hair look like under their hair. Bart has to get a free haircut at the military base, which I did too. Uh, You see what Bart, what's Bart's, the shape of his skull looks like. That joke doesn't work. Argument over. It's exposed in this episode. He's got a round Homer head underneath those spikes. We saw it. There's a throwaway gag that really stuck with me as part of saving money. Maggie is outgrowing her clothes. So they put her in a crown royal Royal bag bag as a jumper. (laughs) They don't make a big deal out of it. It's just there. And it's hilarious. It's more funny... This is so gross. It's more of I don't know where you kept your condoms in college, but like for some reason, crown royal bags on doorknobs is where a lot of, <laughs> a lot of guys uh, I know uh, kept their condoms because yeah. it looks classier than any other thing you could keep condoms in. That, uh, I kept my D&D dice in my crown royal bag. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Priorities. Uh, Priorities. Yet I'm, I'm positive JR got laid more than me. Um, <laughs> moving on to Candid Camera Ends again. Yeah, it's ended a bunch of times. This was the hip 90s version of it. Get the Dom DeLuise out of here. With Dom DeLuise. Mm -hmm, I I basically proto YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're doing this, there's a bunch of TV shows. I'm like, you exist solely because YouTube has a benefit. Or I think hidden camera stuff on YouTube is like the cruelest, meanest, easiest form of YouTube content. And I fucking hate it. Yeah. I hate it for the most part. That's fair. Like, would this guy have stolen the bike unless you put it right in front of him? I don't know. Why not make an ass out of him in front of the entire world? Jesus Christ. God, this started in 1948. Yes. I believe yeah. when we did we did our research on the, the dawn of television, Candid Camera is there. It is there around the beginning of American television. March 15th, Columbo, No Time to Die. Not to be confused so, with the This James is a Bond movie. very divisive episode in the Columbo fandom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're call, called. Columbians? Columbanauts? Um, <laughs> there is no murder Ooh. for Columbo to solve in this episode. Is he the guy with and the lollipop he, or Peter Falk? And Peter Falk. He, ne- <laughs> he never even meets the villain in this episode. Huh. So it's definitely breaking from the Colombo tradition, and a, a lot of Colombians don't like that. Colombians, <laughs> can we do this? <laughs> do we have the right <laughs> to rechristen an entire group of people? Oh, let's do it. Colombians are not happy with this. <laughs> I, 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 I want to be one of those kids who was watching more Colombo during the pandemic because that fascinated me. I just watched the roast of Frank Sinatra, and Peter Falk came up 
for like 14 minutes in character and Oof. just slayed the entire audience as Columbo. And then Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Stewart, and Orson Welles came out and like, oh man, people really like this Frank Sinatra guy. I wonder who he is. <laughs> and he, and March 14th, John Goodman hits his Goodsman Dozen. That's three. Um, <laughs> he hosted his third time. But it, the bigger news for SNL this week um, is Phil Hartman portrays Bill Clinton for the first time. Yeah. It's uh, wow. it's a what an obscure He's... character. Why are you playing some Arkansas governor? Who gives a shit? It's well. early enough that Bill Clinton is just picking up steam. But to me, Phil Hartman will always be Bill Clinton. He mm. is my yeah. Bill Clinton. Yeah. Is Daryl Hammond the only other person to, like handle them for for that long? The 1995 season of SNL opens up with auditions of like Tim Meadows and Chris Elliott. <laughs> Who's gonna play? Bill Clinton now. It's impossible. Yeah, Hartman was so good at it. He was really, really fucking good at he it. He really God. got the, the smarm. Charming, but smarmy. My f- Ch- smarming. Favorite sketch, which I get now more than ever, Clinton would go out jogging in shorts that were too short all the time and then head into a McDonald's because that's what you do when you do a modicum of exercise and you're over 40 now. You reward yourself by undoing everything you've just done. <laughs> and Bill Clinton would do that too. And there's a sketch with Tom Arnold immortalizing that in a McDonald's. This has also got a incredibly funny skit that I've got to give a shout out. She swept the Grammys with her unforgettable album, Unforgettable. Now she returns with a new album, Unforgivable. Natalie Cole sings with all her dad's dead old friends. I love that clip. It has stuck with me for my entire life, especially at the at the very end when uh, one of the singers is not dead and yep. she keeps saying, I am not dead. <laughs> this, this is how rumors get started. Uh, and now Shut up, is bitch. dead. Not funny. Yeah, I think about that when I hear Stand By Your Man sometimes, which was in My Cousin Vinny. And I think I thought it about was it. In my so my Cousin Vinny. Alive? No. Not My cousin Vinny might have the worst soundtrack I've ever heard. It is that really, really odd corner of like stadium '90s awful country music. Uh, I really hate it. The kind of shit that 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 you see before the Blues Brothers come in and rock the house. That's the kind of music that's wall to wall in My Cousin Vinny. Other than Tammy Wynette, don't mean to shit on her. Uh, video games of of 1992. PGA Golf <laughs> for the Super Nintendo. Hell yeah. Of course, we've all played that Arcana and the I love a final fight ripoff rival turf exclamation. Uh, so PGA golf is your basic three click swing golf game. I would say this is probably as good as golf can be on the SNES. Arcana is a first person semi card based dungeon crawler. It's punishingly difficult, and I cannot imagine anyone enjoying it today. Uh, Rival Turf, there is absolutely no reason to play this version. I know one reason. uh, (laughs) It's available in the Switch Online store. It's part of your annual subscription. (laughs) That that should be like a punishment. They should pay you. Kind of how the service works. Yeah. Uh, but the other game that came out is Pit Fighter, and I want to give a shout out to this because this is how bad ports for the SNES mm. could be. Uh, we're not that far away from uh, Street Fighter on the SNES, and if you were looking at this port, I could see why you would be super worried that they were going to ruin Street Fighter for the yeah. Super Nintendo. It's kind of a miracle Street Fighter came out okay on the SNES, given how... Oh, I think it's great. I have long thoughts on that when it yeah. comes out. G- given how, how, how terrible that had been up until this point. 
Especially with something like Pit Fighter, which is Street Fighter with three characters. <laughs> what the fuck? How do you... <laughs> and I think for the SNES, it's down to two characters. <laughs> <laughs> what do they have to squeeze in more background guys in the pit? Pit Fighter is ridiculous. And I think I've told that story before. I was going next door to the KB Toys and buying a liquid lollipop. And I hated the game so much after dumping like five bucks into it. I would squirt the sticky lollipop stuff on the red buttons so people would smear it when it became their turn to play. I desecrated a Pit Fighter machine 30 years ago. Lemmings is also out on SNES, which Yay. we've talked uh, about before. One of the rare strategy games on Super Nintendo. Uh, the game is you walk until you die, which lemmings don't do. That is a mm-hmm. vicious, vicious lie spread by Walt Disney. Yes. This is, uh, this is one of the most ported games of all time, so I know we've talked about it before. And then, uh, But this is different. WWF Super WrestleMania is out this week. Hooray. It's a wrestling game in 16-bit. That's all the draw you needed in 1992. I mean, it's such an upgrade from the NES. It really is. It was <laughs> Do great you remember to have... the uh, wrestling game in The Wrestler? Yes. Yes. That is what I always think of when I picture <laughs> NES wrestling game. Yes. Uh, which one was that? Was that w... No, that was a fake one. Yeah, uh, it was a fake one. Anyway, music of 1992, To Be With You by Mr. Big is still number one. We also have new releases, including Generator by Bad Religion, uh, Up by Right Said Fred. Is that their follow-up to I'm Too Sexy or the album that contains no, I'm Too Sexy? That's the album that contains I'm Too Sexy. Okay, because that song is already tearing it up in the singles mm-hmm. charts. Uh, Dare to Dream by Yanni, Opiate, uh, the debut, the debut uh, EP from Tool. Tool is 30 years old. Holy shit. Uh, hey Babe, the debut of Juliana Hatfield. Color me shocked on that one too. Uh, Ingenuine. Am I saying that right? Ingenue by Katie. (laughs) No wonder I didn't own the album. And I had a constant craving for her. I did. That's on this one. Las Sexorcisto, Devil Music Volume 1 by White Zombie. And of course, the self-titled debut of No Doubt is out this week. And it's two ska for words, almost to the point of being (laughs) unlistenable. And we're going to close out with a song JR was mentioning earlier. Yo, Cousin Vinny! by Joe Pesci off of Vincent LaGuardia Gambini sings just for you but don't go away because we may even have a funnier movie to talk about later in the show stay right there every time I get the urge to visit my hometown I'm sure that all my cousins will try to track me down my heart says go my head says no it's best to stay away but if I appear I'm sure to hear all those jerk offs say hey cousin Vinny yo cousin Vinny Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. 
Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming into 2002, March 11th to the 17th, with Uh Uh-huh by B2K off their self-titled debut. B2K, why am I confused? (laughs) Who is this? Y'all like boy bands? We we got some boy bands. These are boys for the new millennium. Okay, so this isn't BTS, my current favorite band. Exactly. That as far as have you been in a grocery store and it's like is the print medium just held aloft by guides to Fortnite and BTS at this moment <laughs> and knitting and knit, knitting and like yeah. when a really old celebrity dies like John Wayne which one of you are still left who wants to read an entire magazine about John Wayne uh, but whatever welcome to 2002 2002 it's a world of difference in 1992. Uh, to 10 years later. The self-titled debut of B2K is out this week. Become You by Indigo Girls is also out. What It Is to Burn by Finch, Superstar by Gravity Kills, uh, World Outside My Window by Glenn Lewis and Pied Piper. Donovan's 25th album. (laughs) I don't know any other song by Donovan. I know two songs by Donovan. Yes. The one in Goodfellas and the one in Futurama that is parodying his own song from Goodfellas. Isn't oh, you it? know the third song then. What's that one? I was going to say Hurdy Gurdy Man and Hurdy Gurdy. Yes, I do know Hurdy Gurdy Man. That's a cool song. Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule is still number one this week. A little bit of news to wade you into what's going on in 2002. Uh, <laughs> is shaking her head. Liza Minnelli marries David Guest. Yep. Her maid of honor was some lady from EastEnders, and his best man was Michael Jackson. Wow. What? Yeah. And everyone immediately went, who is that guy? And, oh, he's super gay. And he said, no, I'm not. Everyone went, you're super gay. It didn't last very long. And then he sued her for $10 million saying that she abused him. And everyone kind of went, eh. (laughs) Which Uh... spousal abuse isn't funny. Except when Liza Minnelli does it. It's yeah. Like, oh, funny to think about. I'm especially sorry. With all her... It's wrong, but I'm sorry. Especially with all her vertigo. That, that's <laughs> a little Arrested Development joke for the people out there. Movies of 2002, 311 Sucks Balls to 317. Kissing Jessica Stein is out this week, um, which is a movie I th- remember reading about. Yeah, it's... I, I love how this lines up that uh, Jennifer Westfeld has basically made two movies and we get to talk about both of them this week. <laughs> um, wow. This one she co-wrote and stars in with Jackie Hoffman, Seth, Scott Cohen, and Heather Jurgensen. And mm. this is like so gay canon because even for 2002, this was kind of, I don't know, breaking the mold, man, because it's about, first of all, it's about a Jewish copy editing lady. What? <laughs> <laughs> And like, she's not very successful with men, and you know, she's just you know, like, I don't know how to find someone. And then she sees this ad that, like, singles ad that, like, really gets her attention because that's how we did things before internets, I guess. But it's a woman, and so she tries having a relationship with a woman, and it doesn't like. It's very funny, but it's also like very honest of like wanting to be with someone that like you like, 
but you don't feel that way about them. And that's like so much of what the other movie of hers we're going to talk about is also about. It's the story of a woman who tries lesbianism and decides it's not for her. And that's a valid experience. You know, sexuality yeah. is utterly a spectrum. Usually in drama involving LGBTQ people, it is people who are, I am 100% gay. This is 100% my identity and I've been oppressed. And if I can't share that part of my life, it is a horrible, horrible thing. But there's a lot of other people who are like, well, I'll give same sex a try. And it's it's a D plus, C minus, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that's that's a valid story to tell, too. And that's what this film tells. Yeah. And it's it's so tough when you like you click with someone, you know, and they, they on such a great level. But if the sexual component just isn't there for you, mm -hmm. like, is it? It's a relationship, but what kind of relationship? And that's the thing is that, you know, the girl she hooks up with, you know, is a lesbian, is physically attracted to her. And it's like, I don't want to just be like best friend roommates. Like we, the sexual component is important to me. And dealing with all that stuff is like, yeah, that's still shit that people deal about all, all the time of like, if you're a lesbian, should you date a trans woman? But their parts are different. But are you attracted to the person? You know, like, yeah. And it was... I mean, it's pretty bold at the time. There were some gay folks, you know, some criticisms of it saying like, you know, you're not treating this seriously. And it's like, that's kind of the, that at all. That's kind of the yeah. point, though, is that yeah. it's it's a it's silly. Relationships mm -hmm. are silly, no matter the gender of people right. in them. Yeah, I, I think it's really fun. Kissing Jessica Stein. Yay. Yeah. And then uh, up next is a. Uh, Actually, think... I think it's me, Sarah. I should have warned her this is coming because I think she had a lot to say about it. Mm. So I'll I'll ask for her opinion. Because I know she thinks it's super gay canon. Because it is. And uh, this is uh, one of the least gay Almond of our movies. But <laughs> but the second one I ever saw, <laughs> which made me fall in love with the man. Uh, what is it? Rosaria Flores, Geraldine Chaplin, Leonor Watling, Dario, oh God, Grandin, Grandinetti, uh, and Javier Camara, and talk to her. I, I knew it as Abla con ella. Oh, man. Oh, this is so good. Speaking of long shot Oscar winners also, this one best original screenplay which it's pretty rare for foreign language films to do. It's because it's not only funny uh, and like almost 10 years before the artist has the most fun with silent films I can remember, including a enormous vagina made in, in a George Milliers kind of way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that characters get to walk through. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't want to say any more, yeah. but I, it, well, it's kind of, it, you know, it's a very Almodovar movie in that it's mm -hmm. about, people and their relationships but they're all like fucked up in very very strange and different ways because j basically it's about two guys who are attracted to two women and then the women because of different things go into comas including one who's a female bullfighter she's fucking rad and then them like talking to the women in comas and like now they can actually like say their feelings mm. And then one of them is like that. It's a good relationship. And one of them, it is super not a good relationship. Trigger warnings. Um, not as bad as, you know, skin I'm in, but still a bad thing is done. And it's just like, just emotionally complex. And it's like, I I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, it's, it's undescribable. Yeah, it's, it's an experience. But it's like every time you think you know where it's going to go, it ends up going in just yeah. such an interesting direction. And you're like, I, I never thought we would go there. But okay. I'm following along. This is neat. And it's it's funny and charming, and I can't recommend it enough. It's great. Yeah. Spanish yeah. Uh, language movie, by the way, which is why we can't play a clip from it. Oh, uh, yeah, talk to her. I mean, another one made a lot of 
10 best of the year lists mm-hmm. and is absolutely it's kind of a must watch yeah man and i can't believe it's going on this long one of the worst <laughs> movies of the year yeah let's talk about some starring uh people i deeply care about i at the time it, i was a big de niro fan he's like i'm gonna do comedy for a little while and i wish he hadn't well this mm. is like his second co- this is his first comedic follow-up film to meet the parents yes there's meet mm. the parents two serious films and then we have this alleged comedy. Yeah. Uh, most have William Shatner, uh, Drina De Niro. Any relation? I'll never know. Pedro, Damien, Frankie Faison, Rene Russo, Eddie Murphy, and Bobby D in Showtime. They're real cops. Free Fighting real crime. You break the law, I will hunt you down and put you behind bars. And they're doing it. Three, two, one. It's Showtime. In front of 15 million people. That's great TV. Robert De Niro. I'm not an actor. This is ridiculous. Oh. Eddie Murphy. You got two things on me bigger than my mouth. And one of those pointing at your head right there. Ooh. Showtime. Showtime. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Yeah. 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 It really, mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. Really. Just a completely forgettable comedy starring two. One of our greatest actors of my lifetime. Uh, Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro. Just. Just mm. awful. Did not care for yeah. this film. This sucks. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's somewhere deep inside here, there is a really good media satire because yeah. it's about real cops who are crazy and destructive and then they're hired to make a cop's TV show. Mm-hmm. But some of the stuff is fake, but some of it is real. And it's like, there's somewhere in here, there's, there's something good. But none of this was funny mm-hmm. i gave up i didn't finish it yeah i, I tried like, I'm, i just I'm disappointed in myself and everyone involved years and years and years ago and i, I get this confused with metro constantly that period mm. of eddie murphy yeah. but uh yeah i i don't have a ton of say about it because i backed out as well like i was so disgusted about it with 20 years ago I did not bother um yeah. the, the next movie i sort of wish i had because i didn't like it but i think it needs to be reevaluated because it's one of the most successful franchises in cinema history. I, I'd say it's the most successful video game-based franchise. It is. And it, it might be yeah. one of the more successful horror franchises of the last couple of years. Yeah. I think it's um, the... All told, about $1.3 billion in yep. the box office. Uh, and and uh, I believe it is in the process of several reboots right now. I'm unclear. Uh, Colin Salmon, or Salmon, I had a friend pronounce his last name like that. Martin Cruz, James Purifoy, uh, Eric Mavius... Michelle Rodriguez and Mila Jovovich really booing these things. It's Resident Evil, the first one. There's no way I'm going down there. After you. Resident Evil is the first real shocker of the season. Jumpy. Non-stop pulse-pounding action. We have to get out of this building. I can't allow you to leave. This Friday, Evil has a new Oh my God. And I, I hated this movie, and I hated successive movies in this franchise. Where, where, where Jr. Where are you? I know because you played the game. I found this to be so forgettable. I literally yeah. couldn't remember if I'd watched this before or not, and that never happens for film I watched in my teens or twenties. I, mean, I think it's film... because it's so cheap, and it like it just becomes Cube for a little while and steals several moments from Cube. 
to rip off Cube at the same time. It feels more like a video game than any of these movies will ever again because this is such a huge success. The movies build into something way bigger than these you can even contain in the games themselves. But this is so cheap and low low stakes. <laughs> uh, it's difficult. I don't know. I, I really wish we could have seen the original version of this. Mm. Uh, the original version of this was going to be done by Romero. He oh. uh, wrote a script. Uh, the studio said, this will be NC-17. No, 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 no. <laughs> but what's really uh, would annoy me if I was Romero is that they recreate shots from Romero movies in this movie yeah. to remind you of better movies you could be watching instead of this one. Yeah, I think he had an odd relationship with the franchise because he directed some commercials for them. Oh. And I think there may have been a lawsuit somewhere in there. Okay. And then, then cut to Dead Rising having a sticker on it that's saying, not affiliated with George Romero. <laughs> is, is this really the start of the zombie renaissance, though? Oh, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that happens in games first because they're great enemies. Yeah. But as far well, as... Resident Evil is one of those games that brought zombies Absolutely. Back. I would think, absolutely. I'm trying to remember, because Land of the Dead is not for a few years where Romero no. gets to make a fucking major Hollywood summer zombie movie, which really had never happened before. No. Uh, like, he, that he wasn't totally funding himself and having friends in. That, that comes a while later. Yeah, maybe you can yeah. pin that on Resident Evil. Because I think for, for a lot of people, it's why I don't... I try not to shit on it. One, I, I did work at the company that makes Resident Evil games, and I know how near and dear that series is to people, even though it all sort of rolls off my back. But I think for a lot of people around this age, this is their first horror franchise. I could see that. It's But this is a film that will only get worse with age. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I, I rewatched it for the show, and it's... 2002 cheap CGI, yeah. and that yeah. is not a like fun watch. I, th watch. I think every Resident Evil after this is so much better and more blockbustery. This okay. is this is not treated like a blockbuster um, because like who knows is, if this is going to succeed? Who knows how many people recognize the name Resident Evil? Even though you know everyone listening now knows what Resident Evil is, uh, and our Japanese friends know it as Biohazard. So uh, the film also ends with the zombie plague escaping and ruining the world, mm -hmm. which to me means the creepy, scary computer girl who's trying to kill everyone is actually the hero of this film <laughs> because she was trying to prevent the uh, zombie outbreak from happening. And our heroes destroy her, escape, and thereby doom the world? Huh. I think these movies are some of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and not very well thought out. Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't get a lot of credit as one of our schlockiest directors who get to work in mainstream cinema and because he always comes attached with his wife, Mila Jovovich. Yeah. This is and where they met. Yeah. Where they met, but then they, I guess they were on and off for a while and they get married much later on. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. But this is the, the start of their relationship. And of course she'll be in so, so many of his films. It's kind There's... of all she does. And it's infuriating because I think she's so much better than this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's right yeah, up there I'm with, with the, uh, the, the underworld series. Just like, truly dated mainstream mm -hmm. double to triple a horror blockbuster i mean horror. i i think there's a lot of similarities between uh, the two series and totally. not just because they have female protagonists totally uh, but yeah. because they're they're that 2002 vibe mm -hmm. where it's very very outdated and bad cgi and they don't look good fast no they don't they mm -hmm. don't look good at all 
And and there, if something about it, I remember watching. Like, was this meant to be seen on DVD? Because this looks terrible on a big screen. I, I could see a studio executive going, "Yeah, we'll make a little in theaters, and then we'll make a lot more on the the DVD market." Oh, this, I could this, see that. This exploded in theaters uh, on a global level. That is, yep, pretty difficult to comprehend. Okay. I yeah, I think the, this whole thing kind of needs an asterisk of. But it does great overseas. Yeah. They do huge overseas. Well, I I could see that because you don't have to follow any plot. It's just... uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. there's so many odd choices in this film. Uh-huh. Like uh, the main character's name is Alice. She's facing against the Red Queen. There's mm-hmm. a character who's keeping track of time. Why do you shoehorn in an Alice in Wonderland motif that goes nowhere? With 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 a series that has at this point at least half a dozen revered million-selling games behind it, you create a character from scratch? That was because Anderson decided that all video games before this point had bombed, and Mm -hmm. he decided that the reason they bombed is because they tried to stick too faithfully to the video game. So he would make his own thing, you know, because like that completely faithful Super Mario film. (laughs) I mean, that was a... That was a one-for-one shot of Super Mario 1 through 3. In some ways, that's kind of smart because they obviously got people in who are not video game fans. I I think, yeah. But you're just going to piss off the video game fans, which if you did that today, uh, oh, poor Twitter would just give up. It would just (laughs) Funny funny you should mention that because, uh, well. No, just that uh, when it came time to grab URLs and accounts, I think the games and the movies would kind of battle over who. So if you follow one of the one of the uh, Resident Evil Twitter account, it might not be the games; it might be the movies. And the movies are an industry unto themselves that are totally separate from the games that aren't even really affiliated with the company that makes the game. And uh, one of the main characters is trying to steal the T virus, sell it on the open market. I- I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think the T virus would be worth anything on the open market. It's a horrible weapon. It's like, this is a weapon, and if I release it, uh, everyone I know and care about will die. Yeah, who's buying this? A sullen teenager? Like, yeah. what, What's the profit <laughs> motive here? <laughs> How can I kill specific people? That's yeah. what weapons do. This is yeah. the, what, what if I just want to kill the entire world? I wish everyone was dead but me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let me look. How, how much Bitcoin do I have? <laughs> and so I don't know. I mean, the umbrella company is basically Pfizer, right? I don't know. <laughs> so I, I don't know. In the Resident Evil universe, it, it does imply something. It does company. imply something uh, ri- being risen. So I, I suppose. But umbrella because Octopus was too on the nose. Mm. I, I've been a very casual Resident Evil fan my entire existence and sort of real I'm, I'm comfortable now saying i don't understand the franchise having seen many of these movies and played many of the games i don't understand the love for it never really have um well, they're action movies you turn your brain off you know i just i've just seen so many better versions of bo- both in both yeah, mediums exactly. i just i don't get how it's the biggest it just never never really gel with me and... i will say there there's one really good scene in this movie that i did quite enjoy it's a scene where a guy is desperately trying to get a code to open a door to save himself mm-hmm. and then he finally gets the code and he turns around and says that wasn't so hard and as the, the doors open the zombies come out of the door he was desperately trying to open and eat him mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought that was Oops. genius again myself. there's <laughs> moments like that it, it might be the most video gamey resident evil movie because the rest of it is like stuff you could never actually play yeah Whereas this, this is a, but it's also not reminiscent of anything from the games and everything they threw in 
to the movies that would be authentic to the games is authentic to, for no reason. A character is dressed exactly like they should be, but they're not here doing what they're supposed to be doing, or their mm-hmm. job isn't the same. It's just weird. Again, not slamming it, but like this will become so much bigger uh, later on with the, the next two movies. Because I think it was supposed to end at a trilogy, but it became too financially successful not to keep going. It, I, I, and like I think... I don't think it was ever not successful. And they the movies get sillier and weirder. There's some of the most expensive bad movies I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yep. I never hear this film series reference. Do you? I do no. for, for younger people. People 10 years younger okay. than us will right. love. And like uh, Sam. Sam, I think he uh, didn't, he played the first like three games, didn't really dig in after that and watched them all in a row with his son and just like, yeah, they're, they're fun. Fun. Popcorn fun. Who cares? Yeah. The really important question, are there any memes from the movies? Ooh, that's an excellent oh. question. Because I, 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 the last one I saw was four, and I did think it was funny. Like, this movie's mostly CG, and that character still entered through the wrong side that he eg- exited on. <laughs> like, just such a weird error to make when you can just flip the screen around. Silly, silly films with plot holes and errors. I just, I don't get them. The movies I, I, I like less than the games. And the last game was one of my favorite games of last year. So I'm coming around on the game. I, I don't think this counts as a meme, but as I was searching, it popped up the Umbrella Corporation's logo, colored for Pride Month. <laughs> Why? 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 <laughs> Why? Is that really an ally that the, the gay community was looking for? I don't think so. Um, That's hilarious. I love when giant corporations do stuff for Pride Month. That's perfect. What, yeah. what you always do is you check their Middle East account. And <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. They went black and white this month. Weird. <laughs> and I, 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 again, I think I saw maybe three out of the five movies we're talking about in theaters this week, somehow or another. We all have a f- discount theater near us somewhere. Uh, or we did. I know ours is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I saw this one day one because I was excited for new animation. If you remember, it's been a while since we've talked about Titan AE. And hmm. that is the last animated film from this studio. Do you know how many CGI animated films there were before this movie? Ooh, um, I bet I can get... Toy Story 2 is out this year? Yeah. No, we've already had Toy Story 2. So, oh, we have had Toy Story 2. Yeah. Have we? Oh, 2000. Three? Three or four? Seven. Seven. So this oh. is the eighth CGI Hollywood film. Wow. Wow. That's still pretty early, man. Yeah. And yeah, it's, like, but it's maybe very half of early. those maybe half of those succeeded too, because yeah. Titan I, A died. I, I think we get more than that per year at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and uh it shows people, oh my god, do not <laughs> look at the human faces because they're not humans. They're some weird I, I, alien creatures. I don't want to defend this movie, but I will say in its defense, its budget is, I think, one-sixth of what all those other CG movies were. And it was how to build something on a budget, and I think they succeeded, partially because of good casting, like Alan Tudyk, Diedrich Baker, uh, Bader, uh, Stephen Root, Cedric the Entertainer, Jack Black, and like a complete, like, you might not even know he's in this movie. Go- Why did you put this one in here just to throw me off? Goran Vizhnik? Chris Wedge, I think is the director. Dennis, but then Dennis Leary, John Leguizamo, and Ray Romano. It's number one. You know what little kids love? Ancient geologic history and stand-up comics. (laughs) (laughs) Number one of the box office this week, it's Ice Age, baby. Does this look like a petting zoo to you, huh? (laughs) They may not trust mankind. Okay, check for poop. Humans are disgusting. But on March 15th, we should return him. They have to save it. 
Manny, Sid, Diego, and Scrap. Four Sub-Zero heroes. You're an embarrassment to nature. Do you know that? Ice Age. We are the weirdest herd I've ever seen. Ow! Rated PG. It's true. It's true. And I like... I, I don't love the Ice Age movies, but I like them as just like... Yeah. They are cheaper versions of the most expensive things you could make in Hollywood at the time. And they find an audience. People care. What's interesting to me about the Ice Age films is they almost forget this first one existed. Yeah. Because none of the sequels references humans or anything mm -hmm. in this film. They sure. all kind of just like move on from this one. Um, and, oh, and I do want to say, remember how it was marketed? It was marketed with just that scrat, that, mm -hmm. a great short cartoon that looks better than most of the movie. <laughs> That's yeah. probably why they marketed. And he pads the film. This yeah. is a short, short film. Mm -hmm. And if you deleted every scratch theme, I, uh, scene, I think the audience would have revolted some. Yeah. And it's, it's, I love the scratch stuff. And scratch was Looney Tunes. Yeah. But scratch was stolen. And yep, the original creator of Scrat, like literally last month, won finally lawsuit, yeah. won her tra her trademark battle on it. Wow! And so, if there is ever any more Ice Age stuff, which they which, say there will be, really, uh, yeah, there, there is. Blue sky. This Disney is what I this is what I want to talk. This is what right. I wanted to talk about because I predicted a long time ago when Disney went and bought Fox. And everyone's like, shit. And then, you know, nerds like me are talking, like, finally, we'll get Deadpool in our goddamn Avengers movie. I'm like, yeah, maybe. But, like, you got to think about, like, these lesser franchises that Disney is picking up. They already have a snow franchise. <laughs> it's called Frozen. What happens to Ice Age? And I remember my hypothetical friend, whether they said it or not, like, who gives a shit about Ice Age? And, like, Ice Age has made more money than the Bourne movies, than Men in Black. It's one of the highest grossing franchises that's ever been made. Disney bought this, and what did they do? Fired the entire studio. Like, just dissolved the entire studio. A functioning... A studio that made $2 billion, mm -hmm. and mm. they shut it down. Six. I think the Ice Age movies adjusted have made $6 billion, and Disney just... Damn. Sh like dusted it like Thanos. Like who gives a shit? We have plenty of people to make movies. These are the dangers of acquisitions and capitalism in general. Because yeah. if you're a huge, I'm a huge Muppets and Planet of the Apes fan. I have a huge amount of criticism for how Disney will or won't ever deal with those franchises. But Ice Age was undeniable because, because of the nature of Fox not having a theme park. If you went to a SeaWorld, or an independent water park like I did when I went to the Wisconsin Dells right next to the Tommy Bartlett water show, yeah? They have uh, Ice Age attractions in those areas. All shut down. All from a dissolved studio. And I wanted to talk about this because I've been wanting to... I don't, I don't tweet much anymore. But I wanted to ask, like, Disney... Disney completely fired everyone who ever made an Ice Age movie. And they just announced a new Ice Age movie with Simon Pegg's character from like the last two films, Buck Wild. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 was, I was watching just a trailer of it and like, that does not sound like Ray Romano. And I was just like, oh, did the cast maybe not participate? Because everyone they've worked with for 20 years was yep. unsummarily dismissed. And maybe Simon Pegg was the only returning actor. And I heard nobody write about this or talk about this. And I, I, Ice Age was just that barometer for like corporate equity. Disney inherited so much from that purchase. They took Ice Age, and in my opinion, was just like, eh, 
Fuck this six billion dollar legacy. What a shitty thing for our society to let go down. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen uh, what are there six? Yeah, there's six movies. I saw the first one, and I've seen four of them on planes, which are yeah, always great ice age watches, right? And they're fine. I found yeah. them quite pleasant. Uh, I mean, there's enough for grownups to like. There's enough for kids to like. The style is. You know, it's definitely stylized. It's Some the, of that's to save money. It's the ugliest CG and franchise. That works. And yeah, and it's not that they can't unstylize because I've also talked about, I like, feel like I'm the only person on the show that liked Rio, but I thought Rio was beautiful. I think, I think that's the only other big they success. They can do photorealism if they want to. Big and su- also, mm, Blue Sky did the Peanuts movie, which it's was great. so much better than it should have been. Very good. Yeah. God and Rio is good. And there's some, you know, I don't I don't know if, how much everybody likes Spies in Disguise. Yeah. The final film of Blue Sky, by the way. But like Disney and Pixar get to fail. This studio never did. And it 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 kind of only succeeded and has been thrown away. Disney threw this away. It may be throwing away the entire franchise. And that that to me really bugs the shit out of me as a pop culture fan. I'm not an Ice Age fan. I'm I could sit here all day and shit all over it all I want, but like because this acquisition you, Ice Age fans are losing everything. Yeah. <laughs> They're losing their cast, their characters. I think the woman who, um, it's hilarious. She won a Scrat lawsuit, right? I think she's co-owner mm-hmm. of it now. So there will be another Scrat series. Mm-hmm. But she gets a say in the money in it. Because she she was yeah. the first one to, to pitch a squirrel-rat hybrid named Scrat, which is clearly what that fucking thing is, uh, to Blue Sky Studio. And maybe they're a bad company. I don't know. But the the idea of like something that can generate that much money. I was looking at it. It's like it made more money than Twilight and <laughs> and in Digimon and Tamagotchi. Wow. And Disney looks like, eh, we could take or leave owning this thing that we just acquired to make more Avatar film. It just <laughs> seems so heartless and weird. I, I do want to throw out the fact that Scrat was defictionalized. He was a fictional animal. He hadn't existed uh, when the movie came out, mm-hmm. but then they found uh, the remains of a creature that looked quite a bit like him in Argentina, oh my and God. they they oh, named yeah. it, you know, the Latin name Scrat. Um, so <laughs> I thought that was super cute. Um, so yeah, I, I know people our age awesome. can't love Ice Age, but I have to imagine Jr. that kids do. My kids thought it was adequate yeah. they have seen i think every ice age film but they were never like oh my gosh let's see the next ice age film it was more like i guess this is on i guess we can watch it like the, like they, the way they, i would treat the ghoulies back in the day yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's probably it you know they're they not are, making another gremlins movie i might as well watch ghoulies they are so awash in media it's rare for media to really sing to their heart the way stuff did in my youth mm-hmm. but some things does matter more than others and this is definitely on the level of it's fine. We'll definitely watch it. Mm-hmm. We won't walk out, but we're not begging <laughs> for the next one. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of it, you'll be like, yeah, that was fun. I got yeah. a couple chuckles. Mm-hmm. I, I liked some of the dialogue. The characters are fun. In this, movie- I, in, in this film, I did love the Dodo's bit about, oh, there goes our last female. <laughs> it has its moments it's, it's it is visually difficult to get through yeah. um because they do look uh, like video game cutscenes. and i mm. do want to throw out that 90 percent of our existence as a species was spent in an ice age right yeah right. 
Yeah. Not and right I now. I am waiting for someone to clone a woolly mammoth. Me too. I, I really think that's possible and can be done yeah. in our lifetime. They seem like yeah. the, the nicest creature you can <laughs> clone from this past. And the funniest thing about this movie, I just remember being they on an airplane. around when the pyramids were being built. Fall, is fall asleep and just imagine Ray Romano being married to Queen Latifah. And that in and of itself is just funny enough to like... Yeah, these are, this is a good dialogue. Yeah, I love that they they were looking at like Dreams Earl Jones or someone. Mm-hmm. You know, some someone a, a mammoth should have a deep voice and gravitas. No, no it's so ah. much funnier <laughs> to have you know Ray Romano's put upon dad voice. I, I, I'm a. I just want to hug him so much all the time. I'm becoming uh, a much bigger Ray Romano the- fan. He is he is a capital schlub. He's wonderful. <laughs> Other good parts of this movie, I thought the bit where they're showing how he lost his family via cave paintings was actually mm. quite touching. Mm-hmm. And I would I would honestly love to see a full animated film in nothing but the style of cave paintings. I think you could do a lot of heart and depth you with that. Check out that first first animated film then. <laughs> it's sort of like that. Ooh. It's it's more 2D than 2D. What is it? Arabian Nights? I forget what it's called. Uh, for Snow White, the one made overseas. Uh, mm-hmm. Very cave painting like. Uh, I will also say that this film ends with a twenty thousand year flash forward to when <laughs> the little rodent still hasn't gotten out of. Uh, yes. Gets out of the ice, mm-hmm. and he still hasn't gotten his nut. Uh, so canonically, he will never get his nut in the ice age because it flashes <laughs> forward. Again, I- ice age now means something different to me. It's for me, I don't give a shit about this franchise. I really don't. And maybe that's the moral of the story is we just got rid of a mediocre franchise. But mediocre things continue to exist like Resident Evil all the time. So <laughs> if if Ice Age was a kid's favorite thing, the same way I love Planet of the Apes or the Muppets and Disney won't do shit with them, I think it's worth getting angry about. Especially with how much to be that wealthy and ignore that kind of money on the table and to not how do you displease Ray Romano? <laughs> did not get him back. That, that that his character is in the new movie i triple checked he's it's not ray romano it's other people and i have to imagine you could have thrown some money at them they're not the main stars they would have done a polite cameo but they're probably angry at the way they treated blue sky um, yeah. but i haven't heard anybody talk about that so if you know any dope animation journalist and i've been looking around haven't seen anybody cover this i'd love to know more about this story uh but the 11th of march as we move into television undeclared comes to a uh, unfortunate end. I'd never heard of this. I watched an episode for the show and I think it's absolutely hilarious. It's all about yeah. a kid in college, doesn't know what he's doing with his life, which is very common in college. I mean, gosh, hey, 18 year olds, pay us, you know, oh, one to two years income per year and decide your entire life's future now. Mm hmm. I'm 42. I don't know. I just stopped thinking about it. What do I want to do? Yeah. Yeah, I I still feel bad that I haven't gone back to watch Undeclared because it's basically the same folks as Freaks and Geeks, runs about as long, and it seems like it's it's a perfect follow-up. That was high school and this is college. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of the same uh, folks. (laughs) Adam Sandler do a cameo, which I quite enjoyed. Ooh, we have a clip of his cameo. I'm a really big fan. Thank you. Especially Billy Madison. Oh, yeah? You know, that was like, that was like punk rock. <laughs> I guess so. But like everything after that, though, I just, I just didn't like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What do you say to that? <laughs> and, and I mean, it's just something more shitty about your, 
you really didn't enjoy anything after Billy Madison? Jesus Christ. Wedding Singer and Big Daddy are wonderful. And then uh, on, on the 16th of March, R.L. Stein's The Nightmare Room ends. I don't know anything about The Nightmare Room. This is his other uh, horror TV <laughs> show. It's, it's fine. It's adequate. It doesn't seem to have a biggest following, and I can see why. And then on uh, the same week, Future on My Hairs, the episode Godfellas. Right, which, which I thought was going to be about the mob robots. No. But I love that it ties in with Pesci that we're talking about this week. But oh. it's not about the mob, mob robots. It's about uh, Bender becoming a god. Becoming a <laughs> god and meeting god. And then yep. meeting the, a bigger god. And or just... a computer that crashed into god. <laughs> <laughs> and has this, yeah. this great uh, banter of dialogue with Billy West as god. As what we're assumed to be led to believe is god. Bender, being god isn't easy. If you do too much, people get dependent on you. And if you do nothing, they lose hope. You have to use a light touch, like a safe cracker or a pickpocket. Or a guy who burns down a bar for the insurance money. Yes, if you make it look like an electrical thing. When you do things <laughs> right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. And I mean, the, the, they love that line so much. I don't think I can remember any line of dialogue being repeated at the end of the show, isolated. Yeah. And uh, uh, to this day, when I see it, I just sort of shudder like, Ew, you really thought that was that profound? <laughs> well, you made sure to Futurama say it again. Futurama is, you know, a half an hour animated comedy that's not afraid of tackling big subjects in a half an hour animated comedy format. And this True. is really an examination of predestination, free will, theism, uh, all of that, and tons of great jokes. Yep. And found out it won the Writers Guild Award, the very first Writers Guild Award for animation. Hell yeah. Nice. Which is good because, yeah, it's weirdly philosophical, even though it's about Bender floating in space right. in a small <laughs> a small civilization growing on him. And then there's a split. And then those the this factions go to war and they treat him as a god. And, and yeah. It's, it's a lot. I'm not saying my only complaint. It's not a complaint. It's just a lot like that Treehouse of Horror episode where Lisa is a god and cultivates Simpsons did it Simpsons did it. I know I know I know but Lisa never met God this is I, this is a great episode of Futurama it ends up on a lot of top tens lists but for me I don't know for everybody else that is not the most notable TV milestone of the week nope. <laughs> one of my least favorite television theme songs but the way it's used is wonderful because you never know when the shield's cold open is over and two times they wait, they wait like 40 minutes into the hour and they just ah! like, Whoa, that was the intro. That's half over half the show. Uh, the shield debuts on FX and I, w I will very much give a ton of praise to shield in just a moment, but this is the beginning of FX as a premium television powerhouse, literally trying to, with very little money, trying to take a stab at the HBOs of the world. Like who, Oh yeah, we're cable. We can say whatever we want. We can show whatever we want. Why don't we just do that? Seriously, people, that was not happening. Cartman no. said shit on one episode of South Park and it never happened again. No one was this cursing. Was, this was the real spread of the HBO model to basic cable. Yes, and uh, to FX, which uh, given the year, FX out HBO's HBO like almost 2 to 1 every once in a while. Like, uh, FX has the best series of the year. They're really, really great show for a great, uh, channel for shows. Uh, if you haven't seen things like devs and always sunny and even that those, their X-Men show was amazing. Uh, Legion And this follow, this goes right into nip tuck, which 
has its fans <laughs> that I hate. But no, I hate the show, but it came on right after The Shield. But The Shield was like, let's just say, well, one, I was playing, I watched the first episode for the show, did my diligence. And I was also playing Elden Ring. I let The Shield play into its third season um, in, almost, in almost one sitting because I don't know that it holds up for everyone, but I think it is one of the best shows I've ever seen in that there, it, it what 24 desperately sweatily tries to do the shield does very elegantly compared to something like 24 i i want to i i always want to call it the sopranos combined with the wire this is making me nostalgic i was getting these discs over netflix and like getting my friends into it and eventually bought the box set during a sale and like was the style at the time you pass it around friends houses and you get them into a show to the point where i believe by the Shield's second season 12 of us would get get together every day for six or seven years and watch the shield because uh mostly white men i should <laughs> say that because it is it is a very very manly 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 2002 show but in my opinion watching it now it holds up even better because the things we're talking about about the police there's no gray area here. Like at the time, I thought this was the perfect show for the Bush administration, which is really throwing its weight around, starting Guantanamo Bay, detaining people without arresting them. How much are you as an American willing to sacrifice in terms of other people's rights in order to have, live in a safe community? I thought The Shield was a great analog for that. But as we start to question the nature of our police, the show works even better now. It's even more racist in ways that are more poignant and the characters you're led to follow more so than Tony Soprano are repugnant, <laughs> repugnant, violent, outwardly. There, there, there's lines of dialogue in the show that like, man, the first episode of the show, he's talking to his boss, David Aceveda, the guy who's elected captain, not because of his time on the streets or in the field, because he tested well and he's a Latino. And he's like, hey, Vic, I need that paperwork. And he's like, hey, amigo. I don't answer to you. Not today. Not tomorrow. Not even on Cinco de Mayo. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, that's your boss, dude. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you nuts? But like, that's where we were in 2002. Casual racism was fucking everywhere. And, and, and I have to, I'm imagining in police precincts, it's still kind of. And mm-hmm. I think the show works even better. It's pulpy as shit. Did any of you else, any of you guys watch this before I go on? I no. still haven't and i've been meaning to and i have it on dvd to watch it and i just never get around to it because i know it's gonna make me angry yes at at the status quo of the criminal justice system yes i remember not watching the show and then finding out it was shoot amnesty international or someone gave it an award for its depiction of torture torture and saying human trafficking and there there's no because specifically about torture saying Mm. they had scenes of people being tortured so horribly and that they're depicting it realistically and also showing how it's not effective yeah so it's you know like it's one of those things where it's like like people who like scarface too much like if you think this guy is a hero you're a fucking moron. Right. That's not what this show is about. Also, I know it gave us Walton Goggins. It gave us Walton Goggins. I, there's so many other like guest characters, though. And I, I should say, content warning, this show uses sexual assault in a way I don't think shows would do anymore. Mm-hmm. And then 
in one casting moment, there's this character who R words people and then tattoos things on their eye. Oh, and, Jesus. Right. And then what that character is played by a very young Kristen Bell, who I did not recognize at the time. <laughs> and there's 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 great cameos like that. But the, the show is pushing the envelope. Like it, it started, I think they all worked on Nash Bridges and wanted oh, to shit. write a cop show a little more difficult. And FX was like, yeah, we'll give you no money, but you can basically do whatever you want. With this cop show, and uh, if you didn't hear us talk about Rampart a few weeks ago, that's what the strike team is based off. This, this, I, w- I don't want to say this, uh, this, this, vi- how do you describe Rampart? A violent cop division who's sort of not given carte yeah. blanche, but they're turn- a blind eye is turned to their violent tactics in order to deal yeah. with the rise of violent crime. Yeah. And- yeah. Violence and corruption. They just sort of like, well, yeah, it gets written off. And that still goes on to this day. Google LASD gangs. Yeah, and the, the the shield centralizes on Vic Mackey, a cop who plays. By, it's I always got frustrated trying to describe it. It's a cop who plays by his own set of rules. I swear it's good uh, because that's what every <laughs> cop does. But no, he uh, pockets drugs. He skims off the top. He takes money from drug dealers, allows them to deal as long as it keeps out competition. No violence. You can deal in this neighborhood. Same things the Wire season three dealt with. And uh, the, the the whole precinct seems to know what he's up to. It's like he's there for that reason, to crack skulls and not be questioned about it. And the, the precinct's like, that's unethical and I don't like it. And then guess what? In the first episode, a person comes in there they're pretty sure is a pedophile and harboring a girl who might be about to die of starvation if they don't figure out where he is. And like, okay, fine, bring Vic in. And he walks in with a... Gl- Bottle of whiskey, a razor blade, and a phone book, and proceeds to beat this suspect into a confession. They find the girl, and everyone's like, hooray. Like, mm-hmm. hooray. And then if the new captain has brought a mole into his precinct to see exactly how much he's skimming, exactly how many rules he's bending and breaking, and somebody rats the mole out to Vic Mackey, and at the end of the episode, he, during a raid, he shoots that cop in the face. And I only have to say this if you're not a current viewer. That's kind of the worst thing he ever does. And it it gets the ball rolling of everything that happens on the show, every lie and every cover-up that has to come from that, every stress out, every person who's aware on his team that is aware that he did that or has to share that secret. It plot-wise moves, even though he never shoots another cop for any reason. <laughs> it happens in the first episode. Two kid rocks ball with the ball. <laughs> which couldn't make it more 2002 but uh i think the show has the best ending of any show i've ever seen in my life uh, i i think it and i think it has the best outside of a couple of episodes the best pacing jr does a show all about sopranos and talking terrific television you know what it's like to watch an anti-hero but mm-hmm. tony when he talks to his therapist thinks he's a hero vic Mackey really thinks he's the fucking hero and he will do absolutely mm-hmm. he will cut any corner break every bone like he'll do any unethical thing to get what he wants, including like money for his divorce. And it, it just really constantly skirts the line. And I, I think it's more fascinating now than ever. And it also is like a level of TV. I don't think people would put on the air at this point. It's too uncomfortable. Sexual content mm. warning out the ass. It, a, a character uses rape as a like method of persuasion and intimidation in the second season. It, it, it's fucking cr- yeah. on, on children. It's fucking, it really, what I'm talking, content wise, it really goes there. So it's not for everybody, but like whenever I read like a, well, mostly like old 
criminal graphic novels, like Sin City S stuff. Like, all right, this is that for the 2002s. It's it's right here, and it's it's a short seven seasons, forty minute episodes, ten to thirteen episode mm. seasons. Great, and some no, of the best acting. I, I feel like I should have looked this up because I didn't even think about. Oh, right, this show is on basic cable. Basic cable, and. Yeah, is this the first show that it's like we know every episode is rated TVMA? Yes. And we know because we're on basic cable, as long as we keep telling you it's TVMA, the FCC can't go after us because we are not a broadcast. And they keep it's it I remember it was on every commercial break they'd come back in and it's so right. weird they didn't say fuck ever. But they would cross the line and things I'd never heard on HBO when they're interrogating that potential pedophile. And he's like, Hey, I got a daughter. She's like twelve. What do you say I bring her down here and let you stick your dick in her? I'm like, fuck, that's like dialogue you'll ne- I've never heard on any other Jesus. show. Any other show. And I'm sorry I said it now. <laughs> but I did I tried to do it as Vic Mackey. But uh the show is it just has a uh Breaking Bad is the only thing you can compare it to. Because like it's just a tension mm-hmm. that doesn't really let up, and the actors and the guest stars keep getting even better from Glenn Close to Anthony Anderson to uh to fucking Forrest Whitaker, oh my God. Forrest Whitaker is the guy who's going to take down this corrupt cop, and it fails so dramatically and miserably. It is one of the most compelling seasons of television I've ever seen in my life. Uh, It gave us Walton Goggins, and it also gave us, it looks a lot, I've had it on DVD, and it was always full screen and standard def. I watched widescreen at least re-resed versions of it, but it is one of the first shows to be shot digitally. So they move very fast. There's not a lot of shots inside the precinct. It's all in the streets of LA, which still looks really cool. And it's very shaky cam, very Jason Bourne, but it is, uh, it, it, it's not filmed in HD, correct? I, I'm not sure. I watched so much of it on an iPad that looked like the first season of Buffy where they like, I think they did something to it, but it looks, it looks better. It looks better than it did on DVD ever. I, I can't tell you for sure, but it it looked more modern than I expected it to on mm. this rewatch. And I recommend it to every anybody who wants a good, tight, seven-season, groundbreaking show because uh, what this is leading to is the Emmys for the last, like, six years, HBO completely dominates. And then the show no one had ever heard of, Michael Chiklis, who everyone knew as the pudgy, friendly commish from the, com- the commissioner from the commish wins an Emmy for the show that like most people don't know even exists. And it brings a floodgate of people over to FX in an internetless Netflix list world. And FX becomes this wonderful powerhouse for television, which I think it still kind of reigns over. What would you call it? Batting average wise. They make incredible programming at FX. It's like huge risk. Yeah. That that actor has looked the same for about 30 yeah. years now though. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's I mean, because they, they said can... uh, he, even in this show and the commish, he is younger than the character he's playing. Michael Chiklis has always sort of looked like that, but a, a really intense, great actor. And the, the only, I love the cheesiness because they can't say fuck. Just everyone once in a while, like partner gets shot in the head. What the hell? You stupid piece of shit. And like you really need the F word here. This dialogue sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I can't recommend it enough to uh, people who want a really good groundbreaking show. That's probably, I think it's available on like fucking Tubi. Uh, last mm. I checked, at least it's got to be on um, Hulu because they have an FX. They're owned by the same company. This is now a Disney yep. show. <laughs> now <laughs> a Disney show. Uh, it, it really crosses the line in a way I don't think you'll see a show do ever again. Not for everybody, but highly recommended by me. To the, the Shield. The Shield, ladies and gentlemen. I'm done talking. 2002 video games. Man, uneventful. <laughs> no, not uneventful. I shouldn't have said that. I know JR's a huge fan of Sledstorm. 
Uh, so my thinking is the pitch session at EA for this was, what if we made SSX on snowmobiles, yeah. but worse? <laughs> <laughs> what about, what? It, could you imagine being on the snowboard, but you like couldn't really steer or do anything or like flip? Like, yeah, man, that sounds amazing. Sled storm. The sled, these are the, these are the machines that go and pick up the dead snowboarders. <laughs> they should have had that game. It yeah. should have been like SSX, find the dead snowboarder. Yeah, I play SSX, but only support class. And um, SSX Avalanche Rescue. Avalanche Rescue. Uh, Triple Play 2002. I think that's another dead baseball franchise. Triple Play. I think it was a big baseball franchise that's now gone. There's only one video game baseball franchise. Mad Maestro. Yeah, you play a concert maestro. There's yes. tons of classical music in this game that you can't name, but you've definitely heard these pieces before. Uh, Diana did an episode of Laser game. Time to help you out with that, by the way. It's one of my favorite yeah. things that we did together. Ooh. Oh, I could probably do another one of those. Do I should, it. should do work it. on that. Yeah. All the classical music you learn from cartoons. Cartoons and Ferris Bueller. And <laughs> I love that episode. I finally know the names of stuff now from that episode. Do you? Yes. Don't what's make... what's the music that Donald Duck and Daffy Duck are playing? Hungarian Rhapsody. Oh, nicely done. Okay. <laughs> I, I would have guessed Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as good. And then uh, the same team that came out with Mr. Mosquito, I think. And I, I, these are weird Japanese imports, I believe, Mad Maestro. And uh, Virtua Fighter 4 is out on PS2. A Virtua Fighter, a fighting game series I have lost touch with. So let me just say, I'll put it like that, but I always love rediscovering it in a new Yakuza game where you can play them <laughs> in the arcades. Let's close out with Just Another Day from The Shield, the theme from The Shield by Vivian Ann Romero. Ernesto J. Batista and Rodney Alejandro. And we'll be back with the final segment of 302010 right after this. Don't go away. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of march 11th through 17th 311 sucks balls happy saint patrick's day we oh wow we gotta light up this week uh let's start with 40 years ago this week from 1982 we have two non-fiction films that are about as different as they can get but they're still wonderful there's first the atomic cafe which is basically a compilation of American nuclear propaganda of all the short films and newsreels about how, like, the future is so great because now we have atomic weapons and all the wonderful things we could use them for. Like, we could set off a nuke underground and now we have an aquifer. Let's store our water there! They're it, just, it's fascinating. It's on YouTube and it's fun to watch. It's the kind of thing you could totally put it on at a party and just have it on in the background and everyone would enjoy it because it's just... My God, the optimism. And um, also coming out 40 years ago this week, 1982, is Richard Pryor Live on the Sunset Strip, which is usually considered like the second best, I feel like, Richard Pryor concert film. Live in concert is probably considered better. But Live at the Sunset Strip has him talking very, very frankly about his drug addiction, including the time he set himself on fire freebasing. 
And uh, for someone who kind of grew up in the 80s with not understanding Richard Pryor as a comedian, more as a guy from movies that are often terrible, it's great to just go back and watch like, my God, he's so, so goddamn funny. And he's pushing so many boundaries, but not in a way that makes you feel icky. Just like, oh, I never thought of it that way. My goodness. Also, shout out, co-written by Paul Mooney, who we lost last May. Goddamn, he was funny. He didn't get enough respect. I'm glad at least Chappelle show viewers know a bit more about him. He's, uh, he was great. And then the Atomic Cafe, I should mention, is in the National Film Registry. The Library of Congress thinks that it is historically or culturally or artistically significant. And this year, it also added a movie that turns 50 this week, Pink Flamingos. It's artistically, culturally, or historically significant. And if you've seen it, you know why I'm laughing so hard, because it is um, John Waters' film about people competing to be the filthiest people in America. And it is a filthy movie because of this. There's, like, the the nicest subplot is probably about people who kidnapped women to impregnate them and sell their babies to lesbians, which in, obviously 1972 was like, oh my god, lesbians exist. But also divine eating dog shit, uh, a chicken getting squashed during a sexual assault. There's uh, flashers of indeterminate genders. Uh, there's, it, it, he is literally coming up with every single thing that will make you wince and be horrified and throwing it all into a movie. And reading about the filming of it is kind of hilarious because they like took over a trailer park. It was, you know, a bunch of hippie weird friends and Divine is this gigantic drag queen and um, terrified the poor people in this in this trailer park outside Baltimore as they're filming this gobbledygook nonsense weird craziness and watching it makes you kind of feel like you've gone insane um and also you're grossed out but also it's artistically significant honestly I totally agree so happy 50th anniversary pink flamingos that's ah uh, bring the kids the whole family oh my goodness anyway that's it for this week's stay classic Coming in with We Are Young by Fun, featuring Janelle Monae. It's number one this week. And I just watched that John Mulaney special where this was called out for being annoying. The uh, <laughs> Young songs for young people about being young. I don't know that I had a ton of those, but they were, it felt like there were a lot 10 years ago. Whenever I watched Instagram now, like there are a lot of so- anth- anthemic songs about being young for young people, which we, we didn't really have. Really annoying for people who can't get younger. Thanks, fun. <laughs> Thanks, fun with a period. Uh, welcome to 2012. 311 sucks balls through St. Patrick's Day. Uh, new releases, <laughs> Torture by Cannibal Corpse, finally, is out this week. Digital Renegade by IC Stars. Happy to see you by Mike Snow. Uh, letters from Birmingham. Mike Snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I mispronounce the dash? Uh, Ruben Stuttard's Letters from Birmingham is out. Um, and Anarchy, My Dear, by Say Anything is out this week. Man, does this bit of news? Sorry, I think part of the show is getting is listeners getting bored by how old I realize I am. So I feel like I'm pretty with things, but I remember begging my parents for the Encyclopedia Britannica because there were hourly commercials on Nickelodeon about how you had to own them 
Get started right now. It will cost you $1,000 over the course of three years, but we will send you two volumes every month of 50 pounds of books. <laughs> huh, so that's where my amygdala is. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, not that they'll ever need to update this information. Jesus Christ in the 80s. Lemmings jump off cliffs on their own. Your appendix is very important. Encyclopedia Britannica 10 years ago this week announces that it will no longer publish printed versions of its encyclopedia. Well, what will you publish, Encyclopedia Britannica? Because you've been completely ruined by Wikipedia. Yeah, I, I remember articles at the time saying, come on, everyone. We know that if they're stopping publishing, they're doomed compared to Wikipedia. And those articles were 100% right. Uh, when I hear quotes from Encyclopedia, it's always Wikipedia. You know, that's just it the just, way it is. I, I remember doing book reports, and especially as I got into like high school, it's they even wouldn't allow you to use encyclopedias after a while because it was too easy. But it made every mm. book report so much easier to do for those yeah. three years. They were super useful before the internet. Just not having to go to a library, which I would do all the time for reports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just like Wikipedia now, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Start there, branch out. Yeah. yeah. I'm the kind of dork that I would just sit and read the, I, the encyclopedia. I. I, I thought that would be like a cool thing to be like, I read the entire encyclopedia because I ate lunch in the library because I had no friends. And I didn't, <laughs> I think I got to like the ease or something. And then I just realized like, if I can't do this at home, I can't do this. But we had a like really old encyclopedia at home, and yes. sometimes it was fun so to we. look through and you know talk about how you know one one day maybe we'll maybe there'll be satellites that orbit the Earth. <laughs> My grandma had a set at her place, and it wasn't the Encyclopedia Britannica; it was like World Books or something of that nature, mm -hmm. and it was from 1961. That's what and we I still had. found it like utterly fascinating, and I too really wanted to sit down and read them from start to finish. Obviously, I never did that, but I want to give a shout out to the book, The Know-It-All. This is by A.J. Jacobs. He did set out to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, and he did do it. And it's all about his year-long journey doing that. And it's a fascinating Oh, wow. I, I should read that. Because I read Year of Living Biblica, yep, Biblically. Same author. Yeah, which was so much fun of him. Just <laughs> first having to read the whole Bible and take notes on every time it tells you <laughs> not to do something and then try to figure out how to get away with it with I'm like because a, little... a lot of those things contradict yeah. so <laughs> i'm a little jealous of his life honestly it seems like yeah. well, what if i did something cool and then charged money for people to read about how cool the thing i did was well you, you did just get to talk about ice age for like an hour reading i remember that because reading the encyclopedia pre-internet was like well, that's all the information known to humanity. That's like mm -hmm. getting a packet in the Matrix. I would be a genius. I would know everything. Mm -hmm. No, no, you wouldn't. Uh, but Encyclopedia Britannica, we bid you adieu. Your printed version, I don't know what you're doing. Please, please tell me one of our listeners works there and can just fill us in. Uh, that would be yeah, amazing. Look, we're going to need those book versions after the apocalypse True. when the cyclos take over. Mm -hmm. We're going to need the book versions of how to fly a jet plane so that we can do that and take down their dome that they have over Denver where they mine for gold. There you go. <laughs> I hate that of all three of us right now, if we survive, I know the most about flying a plane. It's going to be so obnoxious <laughs> for me. Oh, movies this week. Um, a movie I feel like I watched, but I think I just bought a previously viewed DVD. Jeff Who Lives at Home with Jason Siegel, Ed Helms, Judy Greer, Susan Sarandon, and Radon Chong. Duplass Brothers in the house. Uh, let's spend time in quirky indie cliche land 
Oh, they're both sitting in a bathtub because it's quirky. Oh, I'm in an office and the sprinkler system goes off and I'm treating it like a beautiful rainfall. How quirky. Okay. Uh, I, I am with you on this and I, I don't even want to say it, but th- whatever it is the Duplass brothers do, I watch it and I'm like, I think I've grown out of whatever this is. I just sort of walk away with like, that was fine. Yeah. I guess. There's a scene where the older brother is getting lectured by his pothead younger brother. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, no, I do (laughs) not want to be lectured by a pothead who, as the title says, still lives at his home. You don't know how to live, JR. Yeah. But in a weird overlap with kissing Jessica Stein, it does have someone going like, oh, I actually do. I'm a woman and I actually do like this woman over there. Mm. Maybe I should try it. Why not? Fuck it. And then Still, it's like, hey, whatever. We also have friends with kids out this week with Adam Scott, uh, Jennifer. What's her name? Uh, Westfeld? There's Jennifer Westfelt again. John Hamm, yeah. Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, Chris O'Dowd, Megan Fox, and Edward Burns. It's out this week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she's back. She's directing, writing now. Didn't mention that John Hamm is in Kissing Jessica Stein in a really small part because they he and dating. Jennifer Westfelt were together for like 20 years. So I'm easily manipulated in this film, manipulated me. It's a charming little quirky comedy. It's about uh, two friends who decide to stay friends, but have a child together. And it's totally about what having kids is like, how to decide to have kids, and how you can really, really want to have kids, consciously decide to have kids, and still mourn your pre-kid life. Um, It's... uh, Mm -hmm. Very funny. It's sweet. It's charming. It's a good recommend for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's so weird that I never thought about Jennifer Westfeld having basically two movies that people know of, and they're both being about like what I'm doing isn't working. Let me try something unconventional, and I even if it works out or it doesn't work out, you end up learning about yourself and growing as a person, which. I, I like me a comedy that ends up like getting me in the heart that same way. You know, I think we talked about like Bridesmaids does the same thing for me. It's just like mm. this actually is funny and silly, but it has an emotional realness to it. Yeah. And, it's and now I'm thinking about stuff I didn't think real. about. Yeah. Yeah. No, Friends with Kids. Another another recommend. Hey. Well, uh, if we're talking about emotional realism. I think it's a hard pivot <laughs> over to the next film. One of the strangest movies. Let's just... It's its more funny to talk about them, than it is to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's give them credit for the weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. Look at look at the cast. Pedro uh, Amir Darius. Uh, Armendariz Jr. Which, hey, remember what I said about The Conqueror? There you go. Uh, his, that, his dad was killed by that movie. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Martinez, Efren Ramirez, Genesis Rodriguez, Nick Offerman, curveball there, Diego Luna, Gail <laughs> Garcia Barnell, uh, and Will Farrell and uh, Casa de Mi Padre, the house of my father. Who is Armando Alvarez? Hey! Rancher. Son. Lover. Vigilante. Armando. This is one of those films I appreciate from a distance, but it's also like, did Will Ferrell have too much power 10 years ago? (laughs) This film needs a really good editor to Mm. turn it into a solid, funnier die skit that is five minutes long. Yeah. Because that is the amount of humor in this. Okay. Uh, I I don't think the premise is inherently devoid of humor, but if you're going to go for 
let's make fun of telenovelas. You need to go all in. You need to be an airplane where there's joke after joke <laughs> after joke after joke. And that isn't this film. There no. is long stretches where I'm like, there is no joke here. None. I feel like I feel like almost like that's the I joke. Think it might like be we the joke. think we think that this is going to be that's a parody. not a good joke. My joke Helen is Helen. I'm not funny. Yeah. Is, and isn't then that in hilarious the end, how not funny I am? <laughs> in the end, it's like this is just kind of a straight up telenovela type you know made into a movie and you know and any novelty of will ferrell speaking spanish okay-ish does a pretty good job he, he had to learn on the fly i guess um it's sort of like yeah but where's the jokes where's the jokes it's Give like me the, the jokes. it's like the idea is silly but it's, it's also like it's, it's almost like it's serious like this is just an okay it's i think know, it's mostly a serious movie. A ranch I, I i've never been able to get through this i think it, it it's I don't know. One of those those things that'll be funny in a bio reel when Will Ferrell dies, and that's the funniest this movie will ever be. Oh, he did that. I, I, How weird! I watched this at two point two five speed, and it was still very slow. Oh my god! A very cheap movie film, very quickly, but with some really good Spanish speaking actors. Great was, actors. Yeah. You have to say I mean, it's kind of a waste of their time. Yeah, well, I, I just did weird. wonder: is this the most expensive Hollywood film ever? filmed in spanish oh shit that, that i can't think of what else would be filmed by hollywood filmed by yeah. hollywood i mean but yeah. in the spanish language maybe yeah. like one of those uh in r2 in r2 21 grams or something like that Babel. it's not in spanish no uh, that's in a bunch of languages that's in a bunch of languages english, but english is among them uh maybe one of I, those i feel like there's probably something that was like co-produced by a a studio with you know a latin american studio and so like technically that's a paramount movie but really it was like never released in the u.s i can't believe this that film with the, the marketing leading will ferrell saying this is a funny movie went and up it against tries to be funny there are many points sure. in this film when it's like this is the joke this is <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke. This film needs that Arnold Wolf Blitzhauer quote every every three minutes. <laughs> Wolf yeah, Blitzhauer. <laughs> Rainier just... Winecastle. There you go. That's closer. <laughs> Rainier Wolf Castle. It's okay. No one needs to know his name. It doesn't matter. But it, th this yeah. movie, this Will Ferrell movie, purportedly funny, had to go up against the movie that would kind of become a comedy juggernaut. Oh, the mm. next film just blows it out of the water and mm. doesn't even know that that film is there. It's just mm -mm. like careens into it and is like, was that a bug? Glad I rewatched it. Um, thanks to your Me prodding. Too. Because I think I've only seen this, I've seen this multiple times on planes and never like sat down and watched it. Dave Franco, Rob Riggle, Brie Larson, Ice Cube, Channing Tatum, and Jonah Hill. Now more to the box office this week. It's 21 Jump Street. We got our first bust. <laughs> You forgot to read him his Miranda rights. Do you even know the Miranda rights? Do you have the right to remain an attorney? You do have the right to be an attorney if you want to. We're reviving a canceled undercover program. You will be going in as high school students. You have exceptional muscle tone, young man. Did you go through puberty? Like seven or something? All I do is party. Ha, 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 ha. Hey, when did I get stabbed? That's awesome! Yeah! <laughs> 21 Jump Street. <laughs> 21 Jump Street. This film actually works on many levels. And I'm saying that to be funny, but it's totally true as well. No, no. <laughs> now, hold on. The, the same way Casami Padre is supposed to be funny. 21 Jump Street is funny, too, whether you've seen it or not. That show is stupid and melodramatic, and it sucks. 
And the fact they made a movie the fact they made a movie out of it is funny in and of itself. Okay, but this shows the genius in remaking or rebooting bad to medium level properties. If you do a remake of Casablanca, it's always going to be inferior. Mm-hmm. If you do a remake of 21 Jump Street, you can blow the original can only out of get the better. water. It's the Ocean's know? 11 principle, I think we call it. Yep. You can, you can play around with it. You're not going to have this super serious fan base who is like, grr, how could you not take the the cheesy 1980s <laughs> television show that no one has watched in 20 years. That, that's what I had written, written down. I watched 21 Jump Street when it was in syndication. I was miserable in a three-channel world where I had to watch this dumb one-hour show in between like reruns of The Simpsons and ALF. It sucked. Its theme song gives me trauma. Down on Jump Street! It's so stupid, and of the 80s, it's worthless. And the only reason this exists is because Sony's like, well, we own this. We might as well do something with the property. It still has some name recognition. And the fact that they got this out of it is a miracle. It's 120 minutes of subverting expectations. I mean, Mm. it's from, oh, we're not taking this seriously, to, oh, you're in a high-speed car chase, and they're driving past an oil tanker? I bet you know what's going to happen. No. (laughs) Didn't blow up. Didn't blow up. (laughs) I've totally forgotten about that that running gag of, like, you keep expecting things to blow up, and then the thing that does blow up finally is so unexpected. (laughs) To spin literal straw into gold, because... There's no reason to readjust, uh, readdress 21 Jump Street. It's a stupid and bad idea. And the idea that Chris, uh, what is it, uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord mm-hmm. were pretty much forced to do that and became just fucking mega celebrities after this. Like, uh, they're, they're now attached to every pro- outside of what happened to them with Star Wars. Like, if you want your thing to succeed, you put these two guys, you involve these two guys in it because, yeah. because of this, they can make any stupid bad idea succeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, seriously, I think that's been like, there's that's been their strength for, you know, more than 10 years. We talked about Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which mm-hmm. I had low expectations for. Turned out it was wonderful. This is their first live action thing. Wonderful. Spider-Verse, my favorite movie the, of the decade. Say, before we get to Spider-Verse, Lego movie. Lego movie. A movie about Legos. <laughs> it was like my favorite movie that year. That's subverted my expectations. I still don't like that movie. But what? You don't like the Lego movie? No, it feels like a really long commercial, and I don't like it, especially at the ending. It feels you like... You don't like the ending that encourages you to mash up IP and say, fuck the system. <laughs> no, I like the Lego Batman movie. Oh, the Lego Batman movie. Again, yeah. should have sucked. But but they, they set the tone for that, too. I just I yeah. didn't love the Lego movie as much as ever. I saw no, it with you, Diana. I'm... Yeah, uh, I know. But but this this I loved, and I, I can't tell you how much... No, no, no. I grew up with 21 Jump Street, and I hate it. Why, why would I want to go see this film? So obviously I didn't set foot in a theater. I think it's a stupid idea. And what anyone should know from Jump Street huh, uh, is that this borrows like three sentences from 21 Jump like three words from 21 Jump Street. Teen, undercover teens, and that is it. There's no characters. There's no premise. Yep. That is borrowed from 21 Jump Street at all. Johnny Depp's character comes back. Is the same character. the exact same character. Yep. Him and Peter DeLuise show up at the end. They are the exact same characters. But you get no Richard Grieco or... There's no... Holly Robinson Pete does show up too. I forgot about her. Does she? But very briefly. Mm. Very. You blink and you miss her. But... Yeah, the idea that, oh, no, this isn't a reboot. This is literally a continuation. We're like, oh, you guys work out of Jump Street? Yeah, we used to do that. Oh, weird. Yes, yeah, uh, Johnny Ferdin- Depp only oh. agreed to be in this if they mm-hmm. killed his character. <laughs> because he hated the 21 Jump Street character. And he was like, yeah, 
I'll be in your movie as long as my character dies violently. Hey, man, I, it's, that's tough. Like that was his that was his breakout role, and well, I Nightmare can understand being embarrassed by it because it was super embarrassing because the show was super over serious. This show sucks, man. Like it's it's yeah. impossible to revisit. Yeah, but then just the idea of okay, cops that have to look young enough to blend in to high school. Starring a guy who's 28 and a guy who's 31, who clearly do not look like high school students. Not even close. Not like Jonah Hill's almost. But again, he's 28. They they make it work. You know, the joke of Casa Mi de Padre is that Will Ferrell doesn't look Mexican. Okay. Mm -hmm. They don't play with it the way they play with it in this film. It's like, oh, I I thought you were a cop because you look like you're fucking 30. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So the, I mean, the the plot is uh, these two cops who are fuck ups end up, you know, in this undercover program. They are super fuck ups. Uh, Channing Tatum was obviously very popular during high school. Now he doesn't understand how to be popular. That should have so. And picking I really on, picking on the gay kid will not make you popular anymore. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, like he doesn't even know the guy's gay either. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. But they're like, hey, you leave him alone. He's gay. But I, I wasn't picking up for that. Yeah, he somehow, doesn't understand like, how to be popular because kids are too woke now. Somehow <laughs> being environmentally conscious and caring about stuff is cool. This fucking sucks. And, it just, <laughs> yeah. it, and then Jonah Hill, he sucked at high school. High school was miserable. And now he's, now he's cool. He's one yeah, of the Because cool that's kids. how it works. He's, like, he's oh, the guy. I should have been born 10 years he, later. That's the thing I always think. God damn it. I was born at the worst possible time. D&D is no longer a completely nerdy thing. And I just look at that and I'm like, damn it. They say it in the movie, like, uh, liking comics is cool now. It's fucking weird. Like, whereas I had to, like, I had to keep all that shit under wraps. I remember, like, I I was the guy people quietly Godfather-esquely would talk to about video games because I read every magazine in the world. I I got a question about Metal Gear 1. Uh, like here, walk over here behind the building so no one can see us. Like it, you come to me today, the day of our prep rally, <laughs> yeah, to ask me this. <laughs> we pretend to like this football team. Yeah, um, there, I, but I I feel like that's a fairly universal thing. I think there's mm. any group of people they graduated high school ten years ago, and they will regard high schoolers as weird and alien. 10 years after they graduate. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's a fairly universal thing. And that's one reason I think this movie works so well. Yeah. Bunch of things on the rewatch I appreciated so much more. The scene where they take drugs and Lord and Miller really <laughs> lean into their history and animation mm-hmm. was goddamn wonderful. Put your tongue in your mouth. Put, put, put your tongue put back in, in your, your mouth. mouth. I don't your like tongue this. in your mouth. Back in your mouth. I didn't notice how, first of all, I didn't notice Brie Larson was in this movie the first time. because I, mm-hmm. I didn't get that her. until the end of the film because I did not recognize her. Uh, I also noticed how really, really slyly they threw in that she's 18. Yeah, it was it was definitely like, uh, ever since I turned 18, I just feel like older men can make out with me and it not be super creepy, you know? <laughs> And also, the most meta thing I've ever seen, I think, in a movie, there is one of the, the subplot is that Jonah Hill is now in the, the, the stage production of Peter Pan, the school play. He and uh, Channing Tatum get in a big fight and it ruins the play. And the theater teacher runs out and says, and that's the end of act two. That's literally the end of act two of the screenplay, because now they're at their lowest point. Wow. <laughs> and the next is nice. scene is them not wanting to talk to each oh. other and then being forced back get that together. That's awesome. Act. I didn't yeah. get that. Thank you. I was that out, so really. happy. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to say, you know, everyone knows there was a sequel, 22 Jump Street. Mm. There was going to be a third movie mm. and it was going to be 
21 Jump Street meets Men in Black. Yeah, I think, I mean, you sort of illuminated that shit to me last week, how like the power of franchises was growing and Sony accidentally fell ass backwards into this franchise, which Sony had been like letting franchises languish. Huge. Why not combine Ghostbusters and Men in Black before you bring 21 Jump Street and Men in Black? What the Uh, fuck? Yes. That but would work. But like they they but they're not thinking like that because they don't own a streaming service, they don't own a theme park, they're not big on merchandise, they're not thinking about that. Because of not thinking about that, I thought 22 Jump Street was even funnier than this. And it's pretty game. I, yeah. I think 20 my memories when I rewatched this, I was kept expecting scenes from 22 Jump yes, Street. Yes, yes, me too. Um, the interns they do blend together. Oh, I want to see the interns. <laughs> but like, yeah, how did you let this not go on? How are how is this not affordable to do? Channing Tatum mm-hmm. and Jonah Hill, they're not twenty they million dollar people. Paycheck. They yeah. see, I don't know. They seemed like they were having a blast in both films. And that, 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 that is the thing we learn like at least I learned here, the the gifted nature of Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Like I didn't Yeah. Jonah Hill yeah. was never my favorite Apatow kid. And Channing Tatum, I thought, was kind of a pretty guy who starred in bad things I don't watch. Mm. And this changed my perception of both of them. Like, wow, these guys are really quick on their feet. They're clearly improving a lot. And now, like, you know, reading about people I respect shitting all over the movie Don't Look Up, I'm like, all I have to say is, like, Jonah Hill is awesome in that movie. It is like, every scene he's in makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> I love Jonah Hill now. I, and I think that's because of, it wasn't so much super bad because he's playing a dick that I can't relate to. This is a little different. Um, I can relate to his character. I, I will throw this out there for super bad. Mm-hmm. If you ever rewatch that film, assume that Jonah Hill's character is a homosexual who is having to repress his nature. And the <laughs> film, honestly, mm. makes a lot more sense he, with he, his behavior. He does sort of imply like, dude, we're supposed to be together forever. You can't get over me. We can't separate. Mm. I get it. I get it. But but this movie is like, I don't know, a lot more relatable person, a lot a, a better lead. Um, oh, it's great. Yeah. I uh, highest recommend of the week is this film. It's yep. the light from start to finish. There is not a single minute where you don't have some real funny thing. When yeah. I was saying earlier, it needed joke, 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 joke. This delivers. Yeah. And delivers some incredibly funny lines. One of my favorites, for example, is this one. Real cops who look like kids on Halloween. You want me to beat your dick off? You want to beat my dick off? I'll beat your dick off with both hands. Let's go. That's weird, man. Hey, mate. I think what he was trying to say was he's going to punch you so many times around the genital area that your dick's just going to fall off. <laughs> I want to see Channing Tatum and John Cena work together now. Oh, shit. Ooh, yeah. He should be in the new season of Peacemaker. That would be wonderful. Yeah. That would be something. Because, yeah, it's, it's another guy that surprised me at being like, you're like a big buff dude and you're pretty light on your feet in comedy and you're willing to look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. This Hard worker. There's, there's a couple of reveals there. Like a, when they throw that guy down on the ground and Channing Tatum starts humping, I'm like, how did he do that? Oh, right. He's a dancer. That is a, some majestic yeah. humping right there that I could <laughs> not do. <laughs> it's hard to teabag in real life. He's it's leading with work. his forearms. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. 21 Jump Street. Goddamn. Yeah. And a great, so a great use of the utility players, like mostly SNL alum, but some office alum and some, I don't know, what would you call it? Got Nick Offerman, Rob Riggle. Ellie Kemper and Chris mm-hmm. Parnell and everything they say makes me laugh yep. in every scene. It's it's just a great a great use of funny people. And I, I watch Spider-Verse so much and not mm. 
whatever that show is, New Girl. I forget what Jake Johnson looks like. So I was like looking down for a second, like, that's Spider-Man! It's Spider-Man! It's Spider-Man in the movie. I don't know if you're like me, but like, I forget that that guy is Spider-Man. He's in the movie. It fucking <laughs> oh, feels good. Feels good. But this is a great rewatch. An unbelievable comedy I wish I would have seen in theaters. Oh, God, with a crowd. Damn, yeah. this would be fun. I mean, did you, Jr. Did you have any inkling nope. this was going to be good at all? I had nope. no idea. I was, uh, I watched it kicking and screaming. I think it came and went in theaters, and I was just like, I don't want to see that. And then it was like, you have to watch it. No, I don't. <laughs> no. All the reviews were like, "Wow, that was really funny. It was better than I expected." Yeah. And it's like, well, what I'm expecting sucks. So, well, get around to it. And then it became you know, more after once it hit DVD and streaming of just like, no, 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 seriously though. Seriously. The, the movie and nobody then, wanted or needed became a must see. And that it is hard to reckon with, especially at a time when like nerds like me are begging for franchises like, no, not this one, but it's really good. Mm, but I wanted men in black and Ghostbusters. <laughs> I do hope for more from this franchise. Cause I don't know, maybe it's not the time for funny cops. Who knows? But, mm. uh, this will always have the shield. Let's move into television with that. Um, uh, that bit of segueing. The, the Shahs of Sunset debuts on Bravo. Rich Persians in America wanting to be the Kardashians. Sweet. Mm. That sounds relatable. Uh, and then on, on the 15th of March, uh, missing debuts on ABC. Taken, but it's a mother. <laughs> the mother is the Liam Neeson character. She's a former CIA uh, agent. Her son disappears, and she does the whole Taken thing. I have a very specific set of rules. She's yeah, what? Ashley Judd sounds like that, Chris. Oh, is it Ashley Judd for real? <laughs> it is Ashley Judd oh for my. real. Yeah. Uh, missing, I'm, I'm guessing, one season less? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the video games before we close out 30, 2010 altogether. Uh, Mario Party 9 is out on Wii. First non-Hudson Mario Party game. Uh, you yeah. know, Hudson Soft had been the makers of Mario from 1 to 8 and no longer. Uh, a lot of fans of the series say this is when the series went into a tailspin, which it's only recently recovered. Big change is that you have a party bus instead of everyone going around the board individually. I don't think these games need to be released as frequently as they do. <laughs> and this is kind of the last one. I, I, I dropped off before this one. Uh, 8 was the last one I sunk a bunch of time into. I wrote a guide for 8. Can you believe that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> on the 13th, Journey comes out on PSN from that game company. Uh, great game. First game that is an about an emotional story where game design is the story. Mm -hmm. You A lot of times you can have a game which touches you, but what usually touches you is the cutscenes or lines of dialogue. This is one of the rare games that makes the game design the part that touches you it's an incredible yeah i believe it's the only game i've ever seen there's no dialogue and you'll occasionally see another player off in the distance but you can't talk you just can kind of mop at each other like mop 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 and you get really excited to see another player and at the end of the game you finally get to touch another person <laughs> it's i think it's also it's it's the first video game nominated for a grammy for score soundtrack that has wow. never happened before or since. It lost, but it was nominated. And and people in my industry were pretty shocked by that. Like, wow. Because the score is very good, but like a lot of game scores are very good. They're just generally not acknowledged by the Grammys. Not yet anyway. Uh, give it a couple years, and Undertale 3 will probably be <laughs> in there just to make you watch the Grammys. Silent Hill Downpour is out on PS360, a Silent Hill game I did not play. And... Uh, I mentioned Yakuza earlier. Yakuza Dead Souls is out on PS3, and this is before... 
Yakuza was a little more of a phenomenon in the West. And speaking of zombies, though, this is a zombie Yakuza game. They right. kind of just uh, throw everything uh, that made the Yakuza series the Yakuza series out the window, uh, make it a shooter. You kill a lot of uh, zombies, and a lot of fans consider it the worst in the Yakuza series because mm. it's not really a Yakuza game. And on the 15th RPG Maker, what is that, 5? VX 15? Ace. VX Ace? Uh, So RPG Maker is one of those games that people who go, you know, I really want to make a video game. I'll just buy this video game maker and it'll do all the work for me. And it does not. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. tons of games you can get there that were used, that were created via RPG Maker. I'm not sure a single one of them is actually good. Undertale. Was it made? I think think so. I think it might have been. I... I speaking completely one hundred percent retract my statement. Speaking of, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I could be wrong on that, but I thought it was. It was at least partially brought about because I don't think you can. If you're using their technology, I don't think you can publish a game made in one of these RPG makers. You'd run into a risk of a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget exactly how that works. So you could be right. I I don't know. Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the Facebook community. Patreon.com slash laser time. Like many other many of our fine friends over there, give us five bucks. We'll give you more. Jay and R, JR and I are gonna record something right after this. Gonna go up pretty quickly on the uh on the laser time Patreon. Uh as is Matt's tale of going to Universal Studios immediately post-pandemic. I love talking about the difference between Universal Studios Florida and Hollywood. Uh, and we will do a little bit of that. Check that out there. Also archived is uh a bunch of stuff from 302010. We sometimes, uh, the Fidget Game Apocalypse boys join me and we talk about the games of every month. But also we talked about Bel Air with the Live from the Pool House guys. There's a there's a reboot of a property that is just sort of somewhere between shruggy and eye-rolling. Unlike 21 Jump Street, it could have been like Bel Air. Who knows? Maybe that's a giant success and I'm an idiot. But uh, I kept watching that thinking like, who is this for? Di, where can people see more of you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listenerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, one of the best action movies ever made. And it all takes place in one building. Oh, Oh, I know what it is. If you Dread. know, you know. Yeah. Also, we find out what knocks Wayne's World out of the number one spot after a month. And it's going to it's gonna take a lot. It's going to take, let's say, Sharon Stone not wearing underwear. Oh, boy. Newman sweating. And, <laughs> and on top of that, we're going to District 12, and I am going to have to volunteer as tribute. <sighs> oh, my God. Yeah. Big week. Oh, my God. I wonder how that movie holds up. I guess I'll find out next week on 302010. Tell a friend. JR, uh, we were talking terrific television earlier, but where can people hear people talk about terrific television? Uh, On all the podcast sites where you get your podcasting devices or reverse that statement. Uh, They can also (laughs) find me on Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And this week in Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos, we are going to be covering Chasing It when uh, mm. Tony's gambling addiction comes to a head. Oh, mm. yeah. They, I feel like that was not that was under-addressed on the show. Because his whole life is a fucking gamble. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Deep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with all that out of the way, patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, we're going to talk about the people who died and lived during this period. Who do we got, D? Well, in 1992 is when we lost writer, director, producer Richard Brooks, who was 79. He did In Cold Blood, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, he wrote Crossfire, Black Book Jungle. Yeah, he was, he was a busy guy. 
And then in 2012, we lost, let's see how I do this, how do say in this name, Chaleo Uvidia, who created a drink called Kratang Dang. Kratang Dang! You, yeah, Kratang Dang that you know is Red Bull. He oh. died a multi-billionaire. Captain King gives you wings. <laughs> Doesn't work. Yeah, he was like the richest man in Thailand when he died. It's worked a, out pretty well. Wow, those commercials led me to believe it was a whole all Swedish thing. All right. Nice. You don't get guarine in Sweden. All right. Um, and with that out of the way, we got to figure out who lived with our Bubba Birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, we have someone born during this show, <gasps> turning 30. Huh. Born March 17th, 1992 in Camberwell, South London to Nigerian parents. I'm just going to stop there. Wait, born where? London. London. In what year? 92. 92. Uh, the Daily Show? No. No, it's... He's uh, South African. Oh. South African. Wait, wait. Uh, his dad's a Pentecostal minister, which is why his sisters are named Grace and Blessing. It doesn't help. I just thought it was funny. Um, not funny. When he was eight, he was one of the last people to see one of his friends, 10-year-old Damilola Taylor, alive before he was murdered by a gang of other kids. What? This was a huge scandal in the UK. Is it not John uh, Boyega? To... What? Is it John Boyega? It is John Boyega. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, it took me a second to think of his last name. Right. Yeah, no, this is uh, the, the murder of uh, Dummy Lola Taylor was horrible because he was 10 and two brothers who were 12 and 13 stabbed him with a broken beer bottle and killed him. I only knew that because there was a video of him after a Star Wars movie, which his vocalization of what he didn't like about Star Wars is the only one I care to listen to. I don't care what your YouTube channel says. Oh, Things yeah. John Boyd is upset. Yes, is upset about is val is more valid than any of that. But he had a video after the, the last one came out of him buying his parents a home and it was like oh. showing them a home. And it's like the only way you could show off your opulence like that would be like, but he starts talking about who his parents were. And that's how I remembered it. Otherwise, it looked like I was great at trivia, which I'm not. JR is yeah. just as good as me. Well, I mean, gosh, after. Yes, my 5% victory rate <laughs> over you is really. <laughs> Look, I'm just, a, or I'm a good Googler. Mm, don't do that. I no didn't. Cheating. I didn't. All right. Well, I mean, with, with this background, um, it really sounds like after school acting programs did a lot for him. And he did plays. I, I didn't know he was cast in the lead of an HBO show that was going to be loosely based on Mike Tyson's childhood. What? Written by John Logan, but it wasn't picked up. Okay. And That's obviously we've only talked about one thing with John Boyega in it, but it's Attack the Block, which Attack is rad, block. so you should watch it. Yeah, I watched it again after we talked about it on the show. I love that movie. Hell it's yeah. wonderful. And I've seen very little else with John Boyega in it. That's not Star Wars or Attack the Block, really. Yeah, well, it's mostly British stuff. So yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I keep. Detroit? Was that a thing I should have seen? I missed. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I should just watch that. I'm well, with Catherine Bigelow, so I should just watch that. That is it for 302010 this week, as if this isn't enough content for one podcast. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. It's going to take you forever to watch everything we recommended, man. Tell a friend about the show. Maybe review it on one of your podcatchers. Whatever. Have a good time. Maybe we can get back outside and uh, do stuff for a little bit. So um, go, go, go for a walk. Go for a jog. Leave us in your ears. Just get away from a screen and uh, listen to the show. That's all I wanted to plug. What are we closing out with? Fucking great song. I thought, yeah, we'd close out with Constant Craving by mm -hmm. Katie Lang because it's just, the voice just, it's like a bell. It's like a ringing bell and it's so beautiful. It's a great song. Yeah. I kept ordering this off of Columbia House Music and my dad was involved in a lawsuit with them personally and kept sending it back. 
Didn't couldn't <laughs> so mad. So I could have listened to this whole KD Lang album and pronounced it correctly at the top of the show, but I blame my father. <laughs> Let's close out with KD Lang and we will see you guys next week. Peace. Oh.